Welcome in, folks. I'm TC Fleming. Mike Marshall is here, as always, and we are joined by Bob Sturm. Bob, how's it going? Hey, boys. How's it going? Appreciate you having me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, what's up? Glad you're here, buddy. This is a good day. Good day. Uh, you're you're yes, a natural sir. fit for this because, I don't know, uh, of all the people I'm thinking about as I'm watching this, you're near the top of the list, and I was thinking today, I was in the shower, actually, and I uh, <laughs> was just trying to imagine a scenario where we, we told you, hey, we're going to have no sports for X number of months, but you can have anything you want. We can spend that time any way you want to spend it. Yeah. How near the top of your list would be 10 hours of how good Michael Jordan was? I, I got to tell you, uh, and, and I, I, I think I think in this day where we ridicule ESPN for literally everything they do, uh, getting this going was so sweet. And so um, I've really enjoyed quarantine in a weird way because it, it has allowed me to revisit some things. But yeah, the the '90s Bulls, a lot of it, a lot of it has faded, man. And I I hate yeah. that. Uh, I was even thinking even thinking over the weekend and of course i can't think anything without tweeting it right away so maybe you guys are aware of this but just the idea that guys who i know so well um are fading from memory and jordan is just the tip of the iceberg but jordan actually demonstrates to me how totally out of mind like dr j is and that man that's Mm -hmm. it's crazy to me because I'm hearing so many people, even on the station, kind of learning the MJ story for the first time. And I realize everyone has to come to terms with getting old. But uh, I guess that's what I'm doing here. Because now I think, man, if you don't know anything about Michael Jordan, or if you know this little about Michael Jordan, then odds are your your frame of reference for a guy like Julius Irving, who is such a factor in my you know upbringing, uh, I, I assume he's almost completely gone from memory for anyone under my age, which is which is crazy to me because he was so influential. But I guess that's just getting old and realizing um, your heroes are are dead and gone, pretty pretty much. You know, it's weird. Yeah. Or the internet just cannibalizes them. Like Jordan's the crying right. guy, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like, it, we joked about that, but that's true. Right. Like if you ask a ten year old who's Michael Jordan, they're like, uh shoes and crying meme guy and space jam and all that stuff so dr j has no chance does he but uh (laughs) no yeah it's just i I guess it's the way it goes and i I guess uh regardless of what it is music movies sports or whatever it's i I guess it's all the same like that and it it feels like this has uh made it so that uh we've staved off or at least had a real strong parry to the uh lebron is better folks uh i i think most people are on our side now most of the world uh, I, th- I think but, so. But I think this this trend tells you that uh, this is this is a temporary victory. Surely, in thirty years, the LeBron <laughs> folks will be enjoying great success, right? Well, then they can fight their own battles, right, against yeah. the people who uh, didn't even know Bronny's dad played basketball, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we'll get there someday. Uh, it, 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 perception is reality, I guess. And uh, over the course of time, Michael is, has uh, has sort of faded. Man, I'm so happy this exists, though, and I'm so happy that they, they took 10 hours to do it. And I honestly, since I lived it all, um, 
you know, I, I, I've definitely become more skeptical the, the older I've gotten. And, and, and so I think I would be throwing flags if, if I didn't remember it similar to this, but a lot of it checks with, with what I thought at the time. And, and I'm sure we'll get into some of it, but you know, um, even these, these, the summer of 92 and 93, I particularly remember because I was back in Wisconsin listening to, to the score in Chicago. And that, you know, that was the, the dream job some days, man, maybe I can catch on at the score. And, Brother, uh, I hear you. And, uh, <laughs> it didn't quite work out for me, but that's okay. But, um, you know, just the, just the, 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 what was the dude's name? Richard Ramirez. Uh, who, who did Michael and me? Uh, do you, uh, the book, the, uh, the, the, the golfing guy, the, yeah, the golf guy, Richard something, I think. But, but anyway, I say all that because he was uh, top of mind. This was, you know, this, this was a really big deal. The slim bowler stuff, uh, all the stuff from last week's episodes. I mean, I was living that in real time and it was pretty, pretty wild back then. So, um, you know, just to kind of advance now through the nineties, uh, this this is how it happened and it's 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 pretty good i actually learned something you know last night that i kind of felt was one of the first things i've learned Mm -hmm. but just but just sort of reiterating everything else has been super helpful for me yeah so the documentary uh this episode opened with the press conference where craig sager (laughs) asks the most offensive question i think i've heard like just those environments, man. There is a lot of pressure on like everyone there to like fall in line and like don't right. piss them off. And like the like the second like it's Craig fucking Sager. And the second that uh, Kraus is done, someone goes, "Nice job, Craig." <laughs> it's the uh, the the way the media gets perceived as these jackals who are just yeah. just the most savage uh disrespectful people in the world and really how we act in real life which is everybody's kind of scared to to make anybody mad and and definitely the media will all turn on each other it's 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 very amusing to me how we're all somehow as a group we all get this tough guy image and there's almost no tough guys in the media actually uh, they all just want to kind of conform and keep our gigs and everything, and and so yeah, the when power that actually, imbalance does not side with the uh, writer for the no no because they especially with a popular team uh, or a championship team, dude, you will get choked out and sent out of town in a heartbeat. Um, I assume that was the same here when the Cowboys were great. Is if you were going to take on the mighty Cowboys, you better have uh you know the troops or you're you know they're gonna all turn on you and then for those of us insecure enough to not want to go back to lynchburg uh, that's you know now now you start changing now you start changing your game just to kind of keep your keep your game going yourself right yeah sager couldn't just get that question out he had to add though with all the backstabbing and stuff going on right it yeah couldn't just well, be a straight face question it was like no he, been fine no he was he was definitely sticking the landing for uh for effect <laughs> and uh and I, I started I re- to answer it and then yeah, like, like, before, like I, I think that he was just like like the first part was just the question where he's like how's everyone handling mm-hmm. the pressure and he's like oh okay and then it hits him what sager just said <laughs> and he's like wait let, let me back up <laughs> motherfucker yeah, yeah. <laughs> just beep beep <laughs> back, back, back the fuck up real quick yeah. that was there's there's very rare situations i've ever been in in any locker room or any press conference where you are genuinely scared that if someone asks the wrong question this thing's over yeah and everybody's mad at you yeah and i remember zeke two or three years ago the court case year oh yeah where every thursday he was go- having to go up to sherman to be in a courtroom 
and every like whatever his media availability day was, it was like Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. And Mike Leslie would roll in there every Wednesday and bring the freaking four seam fastball with him and just launch it right out the gate. And he'd just be like, peace. See y'all later. <laughs> and everyone's like, thanks, Mike. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, like he was doing journalism, some favors. Or right. Something. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's tough to win in that game at all. And, and I assume those guys like, like Mike and, and Craig probably have a boss telling them you got to get this in. Mm-hmm. But man, what a beating. I'm so happy. I've never really had to do that on a regular basis. I, I think 100% of the questions I've ever asked, I've always wanted answered. Like I, I'm not trying to get a reaction out of you, but I promise most of those dudes aren't doing it because it's so much fun. It's a, <laughs> it's an uncomfortable spot for sure. And Krause never seen such disdain for anybody yeah. uh, like he like he fired off right there that was crazy so they didn't this wasn't like a real Kraus heavy episode uh, but I, I the whole time that we've been watching like it's, it feels like for the most part after the first two episodes they've they've laid off Jerry a little bit but the first two episodes that was definitely the thing I left thinking about was like holy shit why did this guy blow up the fucking 90s bulls uh, and and I, I just I, I want I, the whole time I've been wanting your take on it. What what do you think of Jerry Krause? Is is he good or bad? Like well, on I, balance yeah, I, his career. I mean, I was probably programmed to hate him, and this and, and, and I think it's important to um, to talk about the difference in in you know time periods, uh, not only for young Bob versus cynical Bob, but but more so. Man, back then, I swear to you, executives of teams, most of us didn't even know what they did, to be honest. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, I, re- I remember the very first time you heard somebody was a general manager and you're like, so you're not the manager though, right? So you're the general <laughs> manager. So what does he do? And, um, you know, uh, when I hear Dan talk about, the way he um, deciphered like team stories in Cleveland, it was very similar to me in in Wisconsin. It's just you know I I just assumed everyone running my teams were geniuses or at least really qualified and smart. And and now you know obviously in 2020 the default setting is most of our GMs are morons and most of them are screwing everything up. And you know so now we honestly now we have so many more avenues to not blame our favorite players for them not accomplishing what we want them to accomplish. I mean, we can literally blame now the coaching staff or the guys who put the team together or the owner. I mean, there's really in the end, if you really like a player, you can kind of talk yourself into, you know, he's just been sabotaged his whole career. I mean, the Romo stuff that is out there now is Crazy. Really, it's it's absolutely crazy to me because he's never been a better player than he is in 2020. Like every <laughs> the, the further we get from his playing career, the more popular he gets. And and I assume I assume you're aware of that, TC, because you know we 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 uh, endured a number of Romo uh, battles uh, over the years. Uh, and 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 I'm not saying we were ever against him, but uh, in fact, I feel like I was a shill for Tony Romo for a long time. But it's really interesting in the mind of the fans how he kind of has gone to a all new level of performance since leaving that i was not prepared for because i i felt like we were always swimming upstream trying to tell people tony romo's pretty good and yeah, now you're trying to talk the, the fans out of cutting him 
And now I feel <laughs> like everyone's got to slow down. He was not the most perfect quarterback of all time. And, and so, you know, it's just, it's just the way we, we, we look at things. So, so anyway, that's a long way of saying uh, with Kraus, I just knew very early on. I forget it was a, like a Sports Illustrated story where we learned his nickname was Crumbs. And we, ner- we learned his nickname was Crumbs because he always had crumbs on his shirt. And that sounds like something players would, would make sure gets to the media just to belittle this clown who, you know, honestly, the idea of going from a baseball scout to running a NBA team uh, certainly supports most of TC's views that, uh, um, you know, that uh, a lot of these guys could be replaced probably with the best fantasy player in your league or something <laughs> like that. And, you know, I, I always probably give these guys a little more respect than they deserve, but um, I suppose... I suppose he's what you're talking about, you know, and, and, and so I guess with Krauss, it's complicated, right? Because on one hand, and, and also the fact that he's dead doesn't help because now yeah, it Ryan, really sucks because we got really close, right? To him right. appearing like David Stern is also dead, but he's yes. in here mm-hmm. in key points. Yeah, I mean, geez, we got several dead Kobe's dudes in, in this. Here. Yeah, Kobe's mm-hmm. in here. But but it's interesting because obviously he he put the team in place. He did the uh, Oakley trade uh, for Cartwright. He uh, obviously fired Doug Collins. Uh, it appears the Phil Jackson hiring was his, but I'm a little cynical about that because that also kind of looks like we're not paying off another coach now that we're still paying Stan Albach and we're still paying Doug Collins. Let's just let's get this assistant who can be hired for almost nothing because Phil Jackson had zero leverage and he was, you know, like so many guys out of the ABA and assistant coaching ranks. They just want a head coaching job. They just want an opportunity. <clears throat> and then, you know, the coup coach thing, um, drafting Pippen, uh, drafting Horace Grant. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of really th- supportive things that help put this this cast around Jordan. And at the same time, it seemed very GM of him to to quickly want to figure out what was next and his obsession with Tim Floyd and giving coup coach more and more. All uh, the quotes of, about how it's an organization that wins. Right, right. <laughs> it's just textbook. Like we just got the best uh, ushers. That's what really helps us. And it's it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy, you know, with, with, with so many um, narratives about players, they always get the culture of me stuff stuck to them. But so often it's executives and coaches and owners, you know, the, 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 the adults in the room, the 55-year-olds who, who are, you know, financially independent, they also get so caught up on in how much credit am I getting relative to the other guys up here that how many times have we seen this? But, yeah, he, he clearly had some level of jealousy towards Michael, towards Phil, uh, perhaps even Scotty. I don't know where Reinsdorf was in this, but but I think Reinsdorf has really skated uh, pretty well in this documentary as as uh, the guy who could I've been do no wrong. Frustrated by that. Yeah, me too. But yeah. uh, you know, just overall, um, I don't know if Jerry ever got past the. He's just so darn awkward, you know. Just everything <laughs> about him is just you know. So so it, it's it's. Uh, Kraus is complicated, but I, I must tell you, I was uh, certainly predisposed to think he's he's probably uh, he's probably a moron. Yeah, I mean, I'm asking because I don't know, you know. Yeah, like it, yeah, it is really complicated. Well, I mean, honestly, the second the second uh, the second Michael 
lost use for him, which, which was pretty early in the game. Um, you know, I, I probably thought the same, but to be fair as an 18 year old or a 20 year old, I, I certainly didn't even know you could fire a general manager. Probably. I probably thought that meant he would part owned the team or something. I, you know, so, so I, I, I certainly wasn't a, let's get Kraus out of your guy at all. All right. Well, they uh, they then transition into the uh, the very sad topic about uh, his dad dying. Before we get all the way in there, because I think it's going to be hard to get uh, pull us back to fun times once we do. I've <laughs> already uh, shared this with Bob, but um, they uh, th- this is the first time they introduce his uh, limo driver, who I was kind of waiting for the whole time because uh, I mentioned in a previous episode I watched that uh, first game of the Portland finals whenever mj does the shrug and uh they had this coming back from a break i'm gonna play a little piece of audio okay. that uh i found to be stunning that they would include in a finals game Ahmad Rashad back at Chicago Stadium. Now, eight years ago when Michael Jordan was drafted here, you know, no one, nobody sent anybody to the airport from the Bulls to pick him out. And this man, George Kohler, found him wandering around the airport. Well, I wasn't really wandering around the airport. He stepped off the airplane. I was standing there waiting for him. Strictly by accident. And you happened to be a chauffeur at that point? At that point, yes. Had my own company and went out there to pick up a customer. The guy never showed up, and Mike was the last guy off that airplane. So I asked him if he needed a ride. He said yes. And it worked out very well. You've been his personal assistant now for eight years. Eight years, yes. All right, George. Thanks a lot. Mark. Yes, uh, Michael Jordan found himself wandering around the airport and wondering what kind of organization was he drafted by. I I know you did not receive like that, just that they're stopping <laughs> down to talk about this. He's like, yeah, Chicago sucks. That's <laughs> like, wild. He, just the way Marv's wandering around the airport, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the older guy with the salt and pepper hair, right? Yeah. Yeah, I and love he's, that dude. He's, uh, that dude gives zero Fs about anything. He's like Wozniak in that once you mm-hmm. uh, pick up on him, you'll realize he's in the background of all of these everything. shots. Was was he uh, was did he did he have the graphic like best friend? Yeah, was that, was yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, on the documentary, it was like what a weird unofficial sl- title. Former <laughs> personal assistant <laughs> slash best friend. They're just doing jokes. How do you get best friend on the? Uh, <laughs> that's that's my aspiration to appear in a documentary as someone's best friend. <laughs> I mean, best bud. I mean, I guess it's Michael's documentary. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that just like the guy was just. <laughs> there and was like yeah my guy didn't show up if you want to ride i'll give you one and then from there michael was like all right now you're my best friend (laughs) (laughs) uh at the uh, retirement press conference he's like standing off to the side is he really yeah he's in everything so i I was waiting for you to show up the duck uh when the retirement happened yeah i guess it would have been seven six six or seven Seven. yeah okay so so Mm -hmm. With 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 both of you, how is this how is this story striking you guys? Like like I, I guess I guess I feel like everything after maybe nineteen eighty four or five because I don't know if you guys have heard me talk about it, but just the whole thing with Michael, um, it felt early on, and I you know when I discovered basketball, probably I was ten. If I, if I were to, you know, just start watching it. In fact, the very first NCAA title game I can, uh, I, I actually remember experiencing live was North Carolina, Georgetown in 82. But even then, 
the NBA was about the Bucks, and it was one of those deals. And I'm sure you guys had this here. Um, you know, like 20 games would be televised, um, and and it was just it was just a very the NBA back then was super weird. And 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 anyway, I say that to say what you did get from the NBA that wasn't Milwaukee Bucks oriented for a kid in Wisconsin was always you know Larry and Magic, Magic and Larry, and and then Dr. J. So those are the three teams, the Lakers, the Sixers, the Celtics. And it really felt like when, when Michael Jordan got to the Bulls, and it obviously I wasn't there day one. I wasn't you know, the Jamie Newberg of basketball prospects or anything like that. But it didn't take long for him to kind of get a Gretzky-like, oh, my gosh, this guy's breaking the sport sort of vibe. And since he was right there in Chicago, um, I guess I was a little bit closer to it. But it all started out like an indie band. You know, it all started out like um, uh, like the flow bots are coming through town or something like that. And you just you just you just you want to be the guy who kind of knew these guys. And now you're telling kids at school about it. And then it's getting bigger and bigger. And then Mars Blackman comes along and the, and the shoes and the whole bit and the dunk competition. And, and we're off and running. And now by the time you get to. 92 you're sharing them with the world like it's you know this is not this is not the flow bots anymore now you're like saying you know you like eminem and that you know whatever so does everybody else uh pretty original take but um you know and, and then you, you even felt dumb saying like he's your favorite player at a certain point because yeah it's like tiger woods is your favorite golfer that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard um so you, you he would be in a separate category for me but I'm guessing that's a wildly different experience than someone who was six when he retired. So, do you guys have any like, but Mike, you're are you you're older than TC, right? Thirty three. So yeah, maybe a year. Oh, okay. So, oh, wow. Yeah. All right. So, so is this? I'm also thirty three. So are you yeah. guys? Are you guys learning like forty five minutes out of every hour is new to you in some respects? Uh, about a half hour. I mean, our career paths have kind of like thrown us into this pool yeah. on and off yeah. over the last you know two decades so um i knew a lot of this and other stuff i've just read in different books and online articles but i don't remember the retirement at all like i was too young to give a crap about retirement press conferences i remember mm-hmm. i just came home one day and i was like six or seven and my dad was like michael jordan's gonna play baseball yeah and i just go okay cool yeah, yeah. He'll probably be awesome at that too Right. And I thought I thought he was going to like, you know, hit 45 home runs and steal 50 bases and just be Bo Jackson. Like, yeah. Year one. I didn't understand how baseball worked because I was way more into basketball at that time. And then the first finals I watched every game of was the one that he missed because he was retirement. Uh, Rockets magic. Oh, uh, so you, you, you watch that. Yeah, that's when okay. I got into it. Like, I feel like Michael Jordan's retirement and him jumping into baseball got me more into sports because it was the craziest shit that anybody had ever done. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, well, I want to watch basketball now to, just to see what the whole deal is about. Right. At like eight years old. So it was Rockets, Magic. It was Hakeem and Shaq. That finals I watched every game of. Stayed up way too late at like eight years old. Definitely got in trouble. But then whenever MJ came back, I was like, man, screw this guy. Like he's okay. everybody's favorite. He's yeah. doing movies. Yeah. He's, he's big. He thinks he's bigger than the game was like my mentality at that right. point. And so I was I was a Supersonics fan. So this '96 okay. Finals that they get to was extremely my shit. Like, okay. 
I thought the Sonics were going to teach this old man a lesson. You can't just leave for a couple years and come back and act like you own the sport or act like Air Jordan's bigger than the NBA. Right. Um, but that's my slow progression into appreciating Michael Jordan eventually in like 97, right? Wild. At 10 years, at 10 or yeah. 11 years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that Sonics team is like the first example of um, how SportsCenter – how highlights can kind of cloud our vision a little bit because Sean Kemp was absolutely the oh people's my champ. God, I mean, and it, it, it kind of it kind of started with those NBA are fantastic commercials, uh, mm-hmm. which which is way before Sean Kemp. But that's how, actually that's how Jordan got probably into my mind because he would watch another Celtics Lakers game or Celtics Sixers game or Sixers Lakers game, and twice. Between the first and second quarter, between the third and fourth quarter, they would always do the mm-hmm. NBA's fantastic commercials, and they would always have you know eight unbelievable plays, all three second clips, and two of them would be you know cursive Chicago, uh, <laughs> the 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 really old school Bulls jerseys, uh, mm-hmm. the mid eighties, yeah, and and you know he would do the the rockaby dunk or yeah. whatever, you know, the, the, the little oh. cuff dunk, and and. Uh, you were just like, holy cow, what is this? Um, so unbelievable. And 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 for UTC, yeah, yeah I mean, I mean you, Chicago you, fan, but it's more of just a mythological thing. Yeah, you you, you know my deal. I, I didn't really follow sports until I was like sixteen or whatever. Um, yeah. So really, the honestly, the the first thing, the first game I remember watching in my entire life, and I know I watched games before this. I just don't have memories of them, you know. Um, is is the uh, the shot over Byron Byron Russell? Like I remember exactly where I was, but nice. you know that's that's the end of the story. Yeah. Um. So I, I I certainly was aware that he retired whenever he did. Obviously, that was a big talk in my family. Uh. I I've, I'm getting a cup. Like a lot of these things, I like Mike have have read about or, or learned about since. Like I I I have all the Bulls championship videos on dvd i've watched a lot of them um you know i mean obviously I've, like i said i've seen i've rewatched a couple of these games but uh I've, I've really enjoyed like some things where i'm like i guess i knew a couple of those details and like i don't even remember like where i was or anything but like can just remember like my dad talking about it with my uncle or something you know like like yep. the phil jackson uh jerry reinsdorf meeting in montana right. somehow i was like like i hadn't thought about it since then until they talked about it in the documentary, but I was like, "Oh shit!" I definitely heard people like thirty years older than me discussing that whenever I was ten or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's fascinating, and and you know, I think I think going through the fifty years from you know, I guess I'm not I'm forty seven, but but essentially, if if sports started in nineteen seventy, which it didn't, but if it did, you know the the dynasties of the 50 years and and you can go across any sport i just you know the the 90s bulls is on its own level there's nothing comparable and and you can go through college basketball college football uh, the nhl the nba um you know the major league baseball the nfl um nobody's won six and eight nobody and i will say through this experience i have come around on I think I had a bad take for like 20 years, which is I kind of think they might have gone eight for eight. I, do, I don't think I believe that anymore I because yeah. I, I, this documentary has, has, 
has sort of given me the impression that Michael was completely drained and sick of it twice, if not more. And I think it took everything in his uh, superpowers to get to three in a row. And I thought three in a row was super meaningful to him. Um, I the the premise that you could then go another sixty three percent to get to eight in a row it just it just feels dumb to make that point now even though I had myself convinced of that pretty much from the day the Rockets won the ninety four title uh, basically during the OJ chase and then <laughs> the Rockets won the ninety five title when I was uh, on my honeymoon in Cancun and. I remember in a food court down there kind of watching the end of one of those Rockets Magic games that uh, apparently Mike uh, Mike uh, be- became, you know, sportsman uh, in the same finals, which which also makes me feel old. But um, I, I just – I think maybe they get to four, you know. Maybe they win in 94. No. But, but I think I, that's I, likely, yeah. I, 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 I think um, – I just think Michael needed – uh, the fire to come back, and uh, he so he so in that sense he did need to go away. But um, all the other he needed to go away stuff, I I've never believed for a second just because it doesn't make intuitive sense. I and I realize uh, you know it's it's a moth uh, to flame for so many to to visit that topic, especially if you're younger and you like to wind people up because he's everybody's hero. But it's just never made any intuitive sense to me that uh, there was that there was a good that there was a good case for a conspiracy. I just, I just have never believed it from day you, one. I could and not I just don't believe get those newspaper clips they were showing. Yeah, yeah, that's no. insane, man. Fucking well, that, press at the time were writing in a newspaper, being oh, like, yeah. mm-hmm. "Well, I'm not saying, but uh, he definitely right. died because of his gambling debts." Like that. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I honestly like. I would have put down huge money that no one ever like that seems so far out of the realm of a thing a newspaper yeah. would possibly do in the nineteen fucking nineties. It's not the twenties. Yeah. No, the, the 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 whole the Chicago media is a different animal too, though. And and you probably know this, but um I, I can only compare it to where I grew up and, and also where I currently live. And and I just think I just think we're a bunch of softies in the dallas media relative to even chicago now in chicago they were really propped up i don't know if you guys uh are super aware of like the sports writers on tv but that was such a influential show from Mm -hmm. the from the 80s to i don't know 2000 maybe um do you know the show i'm talking about sports the sports writers on tv no sports writers on tv yeah i think i think it was called sports writers on tv and they would sit in an all-black room it's a very straightforward <laughs> title. I like it. Well, yeah, and, and I want to say I want to say it was Rick Tellin' show. It was, uh, in fact, there was a clip on it from it last night with uh, uh, Munson, Lester Munson. Okay, yeah, yeah. I so he that was part. one. Rick Tellender was one. Um, uh, Bill Jouse, I want to say, was the dude's name. But it would be the Tribune, Sun Times, uh, sports writers, and they would basically sit in what looks like a poker room. So you're there. At a t- they're at a table. Everything's black behind them. You know, it's it's. Uh, and then they have cameras shooting across, and they're all smoking cigars uh, or drinking. And and they would basically uh, come back from break, and they would throw out a new topic. And it, it, so it, I I don't know if the sports uh, reporters, reporters 
was Very based similar. on them or vice versa or I, I don't know. But this was a Chicago institution. And so what they said really, really mattered. And and uh, I know the super fans is a, is a Saturday Night Live joke, but uh, the Ditka stuff and, and, of course, nonstop Cubs and White Sox. Very little Blackhawks to my dismay, but uh, but uh, but then you know all the Jordan stuff, and you know there were a lot of dudes that that did try to connect the dots. I just never thought the dots connected, even when I was in my twenties yeah. experiencing. I'm like, this doesn't make sense, guys. If you can, you know, and and, and I like I said, I, I know Rhines um, even was on the radio last week, you know, kind of doubling down or. Yeah. Quintupling down or whatever, but I heard that. but just give me a shred of believable, you know. He, okay, the, you know, if you want to do the cold envelope Ewing theory, okay, that sort of makes sense to me that the NBA would fix the lottery to get the best player in New York City. Why? Because there's probably untold millions to be reaped by New York having a relevant NBA team. Okay, this makes intuitive sense. Fine. Now walk me through the theory. That a guy can do basically nothing but lose his own money by gambling on a golf course, maybe at a casino to a certain extent, but I believe that's a fairly legal activity. Um, Walk me through the idea that David Stern, who I don't believe penalized really anybody in his entire 30-year run of the NBA, maybe with the exception of like Latrell Sprewell and like uh, Malice at the Palace. Like besides those two things, which clearly were about white America being terrified by these uh, players who appear to be out of control and super scary. Name the one time he got real tough on... You know, this is a bad look for our league. Like, it doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, I, I, I really, really, really think it's one of the dumbest conspiracy theories I've ever heard. And the fact that they addressed it last night with real credible voices like Phil Jackson, Bob Costas, David Stern. I mean, you could say, well, what else were they going to say? But, you know, that's at a certain point, either you believe the moon landing to be a plausible, you know, thing that happened or you literally don't want to believe anything just because everyone else seems to believe it. So I don't, I, I can't argue with that because, you know, that's part of what makes conspiracy theories live is that you can't fully stamp them out to 0%. But I just, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I, I feel I, like the average conspiracy theory has a lot more evidence than, than yes. this has. I, I don't think there's anything. Like, you, you just have the pieces of, like, the stuff that is publicly known of, like, he did gamble, his father did die, he did leave the sport. Like, that's, <laughs> that is it <laughs> that you're going off of. Mm-hmm. Um, is I, I, is I did, that... Oh, go on. I did learn two things in this documentary that made me understand where they started. It didn't convince me at all that they were anywhere close to true. Right. But knowing the circumstances of, one... Like, I kind of remembered his dad being missing for three... Like, hearing that he was missing before hearing that he was dead. But three weeks is a long fucking time. And that's a long time to talk about what's going on. And so I could see how speculation starts over those three weeks. Dude, in the 90s, you could just go missing for a few days? What (laughs) is this? What is this shit, Bob? Well, He's gone for like three days and they're just like, ah. I, I, I don't know much about that. But I will say, if you've ever spent any time on Tobacco Road... There's a lot of stuff that just doesn't fly with 
urban <laughs> urban you know dallas 2020 and you're just like really you know so so that's that ACC country is a weird uh, <laughs> neck of the woods, and I totally believe, A, that somebody would pull their Lexus over to, to get a good night's rest, and B, a couple ne'er-do-wells would say, oh, free Lexus. You know, so mm-hmm. uh, the three-week thing, I don't get, but, you know, um, I, I don't even know how – after reading the Tiger Woods book – and finding out that Earl and uh, what's her name, um, Katilda. What's I don't know what's, Tiger's mom's name. Yeah, I think it's mm. Katilda or something like that. But anyway, basically learning that their entire marriage was pretty much a complete sham uh, for citizenship reasons, for you know just uh, to to keep Tiger happy and to keep him on schedule and all these things. Once once you realized that uh very few marriages resemble my parents marriage for instance or maybe you know just the typical idea of what a marriage is then i'm just like well i i don't know i the the idea that dude can just go down to live in michael's house down in uh, myrtle beach and play golf and not really check in a little i i in other words i have no I have no explanation for that, and I don't pretend to. Um, but uh, I Sounds really tight. think I really think <laughs> Michael was gone either way. Personally, I, I think I think he was um, I think he was naive enough to th- kind of think he could go figure out baseball because he's Michael Jordan. And yeah, and I mean, whenever you learn how much he's talking about it before his dad's death, yeah. yeah. That uh, one writer that so, called it the year out or whatever. I was like, holy shit, that really happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that was wild. wild. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that, that was one thing. And then the other thing uh, that I, I think it was on that uh, Sports Writers on TV clip where they said, uh, well, I feel like we have to bring up he's in the middle of an investigation. The fact that the gambling <laughs> investigation was open during the time that he said, I retired, those two pieces of information, like that, that made me more understanding of the fact that people did so much speculation. Yeah. Um, I don't even know the nature of the investigation, though. I mean, uh, so I, I'm, I'm going to bet that the, the that you two cool cats haven't been listening to Bill Simmons's podcast about all this, <laughs> but I have. Nah, missed okay. it. And uh, Ryan Rossillo is, uh, says he, he talked to a couple people in the league and that it was absolutely a rubber stamp. Like, we're going to tell everyone we investigated. We're not that's what fucking I'm looking at this. Yeah, that's okay. So, so that's what I'm saying is um, on one hand – in 92 it appears everyone very similar to goodell by the way is everyone's really really mad that you're not going to do something about all this and goodell is like dude it's the patriots i'm not going to do anything about this and you know why i'm not going to do because their games do 20 shares and and i uh am in the business of making sure this league is successful so why would i make it more difficult for the league's most successful team to remain successful that makes no business sense at all like you know this isn't this isn't judge softy trying to win an election and uh, to prove how tough on crime you are this is a commissioner whose only job is to make sure that the league maximizes its 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 income i mean you know you Mm -hmm. can say popularity but it's not even that it's just flat out cash and so the same league office 
that the entire New York media, because they're super pissed their Knicks can't get over the top, by the way, want Michael investigated because he had the audacity to go to Atlantic City the day before a game, I guess. Uh, even, even the slim bowler check, I mean... I'm not here to write everything he said off as just not that big a deal. But here's here's how that works. If you want to gamble on a golf course for, let's say, more than 50 bucks, you need to meet the right type of people. Now, <laughs> if, if that number is going to go to $50,000, now we're talking about a very, 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 yeah. very short list. There's only you, a few. You don't run into these guys at golf courses. Let me tell you, golf courses are it's generally like made up that's it. of guys with no money. <laughs> Most Troy. golfers don't have money. They are looking. They're using coupons. They're playing mm-hmm. Twilight. They're definitely wearing jorts. Yeah, I mean, you gotta <laughs> you gotta understand the type of people that are normally found at golf courses. So. If your principal reason for playing golf is you need that juice, you need that money, you 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 want to gamble, understand the type of people that play golf at that range. Let's say 10 grand. Let's say they play a weekly game where they could either win or lose 10 grand. Do you know how much money you would have to make to not think that's weird? Also, you not only do you have to make that amount of money, but you also have to have the very small percentage of, of, of just brain makeup on what you think um, you enjoy. Because a lot of people who are super rich um, turn into, they start playing defense. Like, man, mm-hmm. I, I can't believe I got rich. This is crazy. Uh, I Here now my goal is to stay rich so I can continue to feel like this experience, you know? Um, so, so I think that probably eliminates... 95% of people. And and I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is if you owe Slim Bowler money and Richard Ramirez, uh, I don't even know if that's his name, but whatever. If you owe those people money, uh that makes total sense to me. What doesn't make sense, I mean, first of all, the I guess what I'm trying to say is there are only two types of people that can bet that much money on a golf course. Celebrities and crooks. Okay, so so uh, Slim Bowler was a crook, right? Now he was uh, running drugs. He was he was uh, um, was he laundering money? Yeah, money laundering. That's that, no, that's what it was. But if you're in, if you're basically in organized crime, you probably don't think ten thousand dollars is that weird. Uh, or if you're another celebrity, by the way, most celebrities are absolute marks for these types of situations like oh, like, yeah. like there's nothing better than playing the poker golf with stuff a celebrity. especially yes yeah, the absolutely oh they walking in with a pork chop hanging around his neck uh, no doubt <laughs> they can't believe sandra bullock wants to learn poker that's so yeah. great oh I'll, I'll definitely train you but um but but i you know so well you don't the, learn anything until you're 50 grand in really. right right you right know. oh i <laughs> mean this is say. just this is just the price of uh, learning mm-hmm. um but but i guess i guess what i would say is michael's biggest wrong turn so i guess what you would have the investigation on is 
are you this big a moron to think a personal check is the way to pay this balance? <laughs> you know, yeah. the one with your name and your yeah. signature and probably your, your home address. address. Is on it. Yeah, yeah. So so if, if, if Michael had it to do over again, he would still be a degenerate gambler, just like Phil Mickelson, just like Floyd Mayweather. I mean, there, there are many, many in this sport, and I guess we decide who, who you know, creeps us out or who we were tired of winning. Um but in all those cases, I'd like to think you're smart enough to like get a money order or something like that, or <laughs> you know, you just you just can't write a personal check. And so, so I, I I think that's probably his biggest wrongdoing. And I think the NBA probably saw that and and maybe advised him the same way is, um, you know, be smarter, you know, cover your tracks a little bit, and also understand if you are betting guys, uh, they're probably tied into crime somehow they probably have rap sheets um you don't have to ask them you know you don't have to run a background check if you want to gamble on a golf course but the type of people that can play with you the type of people that can gamble with you are either antoine walker who (laughs) who who tried to keep up with michael and famously went broke after signing a max deal um or or tony soprano and and so I'm not pos- I'm not positive you're going to find midday ticket guy Bob uh, who who's who's even going to consider gambling fifty dollars on a round of golf, let alone five hundred, let alone five thousand or fifty thousand. You know, I mean, th- those guys don't exist, and they have wives who will divorce them immediately, and I don't want that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't. I, I I've done I've, a lot of golf gambling, so I hadn't thought of it well yeah fill in the blank fill in poker i mean fill in uh, you know call of duty i mean who's who's got the stomach for that there's I not mean, enough people weekend, gambling on madden i'll tell you that <laughs> every <laughs> other weekend growing up my dad would drag me out to a golf course for four hours at a time and he had you know five or six buddies he'd play with and they you know if you won the day you'd walk away with like 200 bucks right and the first time I saw them do that, like, you know, play a skins game for cash, I was like, oh, shit, is my dad, like, the worst person ever? Yeah. Like, I thought that was, like, just the highest stakes you could ever gamble. I Like, I, five five business dudes that are 45 gambling $200 in an afternoon that they're spending, you know, five hours playing golf and then cards afterwards. Right. I thought that was the most hood rat thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, a lot of people do that, and it's no big deal. And I think the most I've ever won playing golf was last Monday. I won $40. Um, nice. But, I mean, uh, I mean, come on. Uh, who? So, so This did leave me with the impression that he's like Adam Sandler's character in Uncut Gems, except he's actually got the money. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I like, mean, I, I his, believe that he had the money. Like people always described his gambling debts. I see no proof that he owed anyone anything. No. It seems like, yeah, I mean, of course he had it. He, no, you know? one of one of my colleagues, and I can't remember which one, but it's like, well, I mean, what if he didn't pay his debt? Uh, then maybe they go kill his dad. Yeah, okay, maybe I guess. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe Pat Riley was mad about uh, game. You know, Charles Smith not being able to finish off the shot in uh, Game Five. I, I don't know. And I can't prove that you're wrong, but I think your theory doesn't hold any water, especially the one where David Stern told him he had to go away for a while. But then on March 17th, 1995, I guess decided, hey, you've been away long enough. I bet you everybody forgot about the investigation. Why don't you just and come just back? In the middle of the season. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> so 17 I, games left. Uh, New York Times published a thing that was like kind of a. Uh, hey, here's up to date everything we know about Mm -hmm. uh, Michael Jordan's dad's murder. And there's nothing... Daniel Green? What's that? Is it Daniel Green? 
The one that confessed to shooting yes. James Jordan in the chest? Well, uh, one, no, so... There's two of them. The other one snitched on him. That's right. Yeah. 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 And one of them was like, yeah, it was definitely the other guy and testified in court to that effect. The other guy mm-hmm. says, I actually, he had already killed him and then came and got me um, to help him clean up the body. So, you know, they're, you know, both of them say that the other one did it. Um, but neither of them say that it was anything other than, you know, he, he had Alexis. a Lexus yeah. <laughs> and he was asleep. Yeah. He had a car uh, phone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, then they were, and then they made how many calls with the car oh phone? Oh my god! I mean, you know, not a lot of car phones back then. Like, no, that's I think, true. That's I think true. we're better at crimes nowadays. But my god, that's Very like fair. the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, it, it, that's another part of car phones being new. They, they, you know, probably thought it was like writing an undressed, unaddressed letter, right? Like, no, the first, <laughs> the first season of Serial had not uh, taught them anything by then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, they didn't know about cell phone locations. <laughs> um so for the uh the retirement press conference i didn't know the whole deal of the uh the white Sox game that seemed like a crazy scene i was watching that game yeah i did i definitely was watching that game live and uh uh that rocked my world because you know clearly Blue it starts comiskey yeah well and and, and i <laughs> i had trip i had made a trip to comiskey that year um oh yeah yeah, the Brewers were in town. That's um, the only story to come out of my trip to Comiskey back then um, was buying my wife a uh, a gold necklace for twenty bucks at the Sears Tower uh, down on the street, and and I was very skeptical that uh, I'm probably being taken by this uh, fine African American man who wants to sell me this gold chain, but but I'll watch your car too. Well, what he did, yeah, it's well, a combo. I, trust me, that's happened as well. But um, but uh, he, I, I still remember like it was yesterday. So so I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man. And he's like, no, no, it's real. Watch, and he he held it out. He put the lighter underneath it, which oh, okay. I mean, science. Does that mean so. it's real? I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't know the test, but but clearly, I uh, I, I like uh, cheap uh, gifts for my soon to be wife, and uh, so I bought her a necklace, which I had never done before. And about two weeks later, um, she had like a a red rash oh, in, the, in the form of a necklace. So it was <laughs> Dude, clearly I had fake. That. Oh, I no. got one of those from Scholastic Book Fair. Yeah. Thought I was buying like a nice, nice chain. Like three days later, I'm like, my neck is like in rashes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, you got poison and, ivy. Maybe you're allergic to gold. Allergic to fake gold. Yeah. And it's super embarrassing too, because she loves you. You're engaged. <laughs> and so she's not really sure the rules about taking an, uh, the necklace off. If it's affecting her skin, like it's just burning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, no, take it. No, don't yeah, keep fun, wearing honey. it. Yeah. 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 No, she's, <laughs> no, maybe it's just, you know, the initial Did you put some lotion on it, <laughs> the initial reaction, the gold, maybe, maybe it'll wear <laughs> off after a while. This is how the rich people live. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah. I have to build up a tolerance to gold, honey. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, so I remember that game um i don't remember any details of the game except michael was there because he was going to throw out the first pitch of course as, as they documented but he stole your the fit, IJB Chuck. uniform oh yeah. look great the official IJB yes uniform. yes absolutely who wore it better uh and <laughs> and uh and, and then the craig sager report no pat o'brien report mm-hmm. was just way too much for me i mean I wasn't ready for that, man. And then I didn't want to believe it, I'm sure. And 
then the press conference either the next morning or the morning after that. I want to say the next morning. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, just the dominoes of it all was crazy because in June you have the third straight final and you're like, man, they might win every final between now <laughs> and the end of time. And Is this how the league ends? Does yeah. I mean, someone I just guess, win 10 times in a row I, and they I, stop playing basketball? I, I'm not even sure, you know, maybe the Bucks should – figure out another sport perhaps to compete in because <laughs> I think the Bulls have this locked down for a while and then the death uh, and then um, from there this was early October and then you know I want to man for some reason my my mind tells me that the Bulls retirement press conference was right around the very first time you heard about the baseball stuff but I don't think that checks out with what we saw last night. I think there must have been a two-month gap on, so what is he doing? And uh, then, did you hear he's trying to play baseball? No, that's the most ridiculous thing ever. And You know, so I, I don't know exactly how it all played out in the timeline, but the one thing I did learn that I had never picked out was – the return in 2095. So the return in 95, to me, as I saw it last night, it almost uh, it almost seems to hold water that if baseball's labor situation was locked down, maybe his return never happens. Like I'm, no. I'm pretty sure he was feeling pretty good about 202 at Double A. In in ninety four, yeah, and, and I, so I surprised they didn't uh, bring it up. Um, in in the uh, people who want to make the uh, Jordan baseball case, the the key piece of evidence is after that double A season, he went to the AFL, and uh, I think it was the first year of the Arizona Fall League, and uh, the average jump jumped fifty points. Like, wow! And and it was considered to be a higher level of competition than double A. So then you start to kind of say like, okay, he's getting it. There's improvement occurring. Like if he goes to triple A next year and jumps another fifty points, he's a three hundred hitter, and then he's just yeah. a major leaguer. Um, yeah. And I, I, the whole way that he talks about every single part of it, like now the way he talks about it, the way he talked about it in the press conference, all seems to be like what was the thing that was bothering him was expectations. And people projecting out what you ought to do next. Right. Yeah. And so, like, whatever he's like, retirement means I can do whatever I want to do right now. Uh, and, and just the way he, you know, BJ Armstrong describes, like, the, well, we were just eating, and I was like, why don't you right. come say hi to the boys? Um, that, that all, I, I, I believe that 100% that that's the way it happened. And I, I believe that he, like, did not quit saying, I'm going to go away to this for two years and then i'm going to be back i it sounds like what the thing he wanted more than anything was to just be able to do whatever the fuck he wanted whenever he wanted to do it which is you know to me uh real freedom as well <laughs> you know yeah, like i yeah. that's the thing i want more than anything right um so you know i i i yeah i i absolutely believe that tiny little things like baseball being in a labor shortage at the time or, you know, labor strike at the time. Um, it, it absolutely determines this. And I did want to say that I, I didn't like, like they mentioned it some, but the narrative around Jordan, like as a, a moral figure starts and stops with that Republicans buy shoes to quote. And I think it should be at least as important as an offhand joke that he made that he refused to, <laughs> like, he could have played in a major league game. And he was like, no, I'm fucking solidarity with the workers. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it was, again, I'm just going to say to me, and, and this is this is probably rationalizing a misstep, but to me at the time, and, and to a certain extent to this very day, maybe because, you know, on, on whatever level we're sort of kind of public figures, I don't like... I don't like forcing someone to uh, take a stand on something because I think there's enough people that take fake stands, especially on like Twitter on things they don't believe in, but they kind of think this is how the wind is blowing and people want me to feel this way sort of thing. It's kind of okay to say I don't know enough about this situation. Or or I (laughs) don't totally care. I don't care. And and, and now that's Mm. the worst thing you could say, of course, is how do you you not care about uh, clean water in Tanzania? I mean, that's, Mm. uh, I mean, don't you you know what it's like not to live with clean water? And you're like, yeah, I mean, I guess, but I'm just trying to win another time title if that's okay and and so i i look i hear you and i know it looks bad and it certainly looks even worse in retrospect but the general tiger michael jordan view that first of all they were both raised in this uh i mean the dean smith stuff is really undersold but let me tell you if you think uh you know your school made an impression on you, Chuck, uh, whether positive or negative. I promise you three years of listening to Dean Smith talk every day uh, put Mike in a spot where he would not cross certain lines for a long part of his career. Now, again, once you get to three in a row or Barcelona or whatever you want to say is where Michael stopped caring whatever he was trained to do. Um, fine, but up until then, uh, publicly ripping a coach, for instance, no chance, uh, getting a coach fired, no chance. I mean, just all these things, getting a guy traded, uh, you know, not trying, um, faking an injury, just whatever you want to say. He had certain stuff in his DNA that just were absolutely forbidden. And it wasn't because he was scared of being punished. It was because it was programmed. And I really believe Tiger had a very similar programming with Earl, but in a much different setting. And I I guess what I'm saying in both those cases were the importance of not pissing off sponsors. And with that, of course, would be, um, you know, taking a political stand on something that you're not totally up to speed with. You know, so I I think today's athlete and, and yeah, I guess LeBron would be, you know, the principal guy for that sort of situation. LeBron to me, and I know this is unfair, but it always sounds like he is taking a poll in his head on what is the most popular way to say this. Um you know, and where am I going to get the least amount of grief for my position? And and so maybe that's a different way to say the same stuff. Um, or maybe it just leads to disingenuous takes on really important issues to certain people. Or, you know, you could endorse this guy to beat Jesse Helms. Or you could just tell the truth that you don't give a rip if Jesse Helms wins another term. And how does that affect you? You live in Chicago. I, I'm not trying to justify it. I'm simply trying to... Um, recognize that we get asked every day to take a stand on certain stuff. And there are things that I care about. And there are things that I'm just like, man, I'm not telling you not to care about this. You should. But part of my 
brand, if you want to say, which sounds so narcissistic, but, but part of whatever credibility I have is people kind of know that I'm only going to tell them, you know, things that actually matter to me. And so, you know, that's probably, that's probably rationalizing somebody not taking a stand when you could make a real difference. But, but I, you know, I, to go back to why would you retire? I think part of it is that there's nothing more draining in life than winning a game by five. And it feels like a failure because of the bar that's been set for you, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I read the his yeah. ba- whole baseball thing, right? Right. Is he knew he's one of the greatest athletes on earth. And I want to achieve. I love this. I'm clearly addicted to this. I'm, yeah. I'm addicted to winning. I'm addicted to, to success in the spotlight at some level. But I'm tired of coaching the goddamn team, too. Mm-hmm. Like, that's wearing on me. Right. It's almost it's Troy with Barry Switzer. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Dude, absolutely. That's it's, a great it's one. That. And he wanted to go do something where the success, his success only relied on himself in the batter's box, hitting the baseball. Yes. And, and so I am curious why baseball, for instance, over golf. I mean, I wonder if he was that mm-hmm. obsessed with golf, if he was also naive enough to think that he could was give he a, a Romo. How good was he with golf? I don't have any idea. I assume not great. I mean, I, I think the baseball thing is, you know, it seemed like a very, this is what and, I did when I was a kid thing. Well, right? and maybe he knew golf enough to know that he generally finds out that he's the second best player in every match he plays in maybe <laughs> i don't i don't know yeah in baseball um, he hadn't picked up a bat and and in baseball he still yeah. had the hubris mm-hmm. to think uh dude. Yeah, it could be anything yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. could he yeah. be a right. player and, yeah. and and maybe the appeal to him is for once he wasn't the favorite like for yep. once he could get back to that place that he hasn't been in over a decade where someone actually has the audacity to tell me i can't do something yeah, like I don't believe that that his dad stuff that his no. dad wanted him to go play baseball. I'm like, yeah, my dad wanted me to be an astronaut. I didn't go work at Radio <laughs> right. Shack. And, do, like, and, what, and that's what sort not of, how it works. And what sort of psycho dad doesn't drop that dumb dream once his son is yeah, the three freaking best in. athlete in the world? Yeah, not I mean, enough. this is great. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but what about what do you think about baseball now? I mean, no, I to put that on James is uh, is probably. Yeah. I, I just it think it's got scapegoated for that one. Yeah, I just think it's voices in Michael's head that lost all joy. Like like all he had left at the end was winning. And mm-hmm. then that was slowly peeled away. Like you guys aren't really winning by enough. And you know, even at the radio station, that got tiresome after a while. And and maybe that's been reset a little bit. But uh, the, the the idea that you're number one for like a decade straight. And so then they start kind of saying, yeah, but you're not as number one as you were last mm-hmm. time around. And you're like, bro. Either you're number one or you're not. You're not kind of number one, you know? And so so stop peeling away the joy of winning now to where, oh, you guys used to win by three ratings points. Now you're only winning by one. And I'm like, mm-hmm. man, there will be a day where we're looking up at number one saying, sure be nice to win by one ratings point. Now win it. So, so I, I just think um, on a much, much, much lower level, I can kind of see the appeal of having the doubters again. So so I guess what that brings me to is kind of for the first time in 25 years, last night it was interesting to hear people talk about 202 as a good thing. 
Like, that was weird, right? I mean, haven't you been told your entire life that he was awful at baseball? And now oh, somebody yeah. somebody is actually having the audacity to say, you know, not that bad to not touch a baseball bat for 14 years and then rip off a 13-game hit streak at the AA level, right? I mean, that's pretty good, isn't it? Was How was the 13-game hit streak covered at the time? I don't remember it being covered at all, okay. which is which is I why I can see people being like, "Holy shit!" Like, it, it, what can't it, I do? I remember hearing about it. Yeah, I, I don't know yeah. about my dad like reading a paper to well, me. He's like, if I asked him, like, let me say, so how's that guy doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me say it was it made Sports Center, but I don't think it was a highlight. I think it would be like a White no, Sox. No, they would like laugh at him. White like Sox and Royals tonight. And by the way, Michael Jordan uh, double A yeah. uh, yeah, another hit. Uh, let's go see what Frank Thomas is up to in the actual you know baseball that we'll cover here. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's why you know even hearing some people talk about the episodes, I think Dan and Jake were uh, or Dan uh, might have made the point that um, um, you know Michael wanted to get away from the spotlight, uh, but then he went to play baseball and the spotlight was just as big. Bro, the spotlight was not close to just no. as big. There it was is still crazy spotlight. That, the, that his assignment was related to which team had the press facilities to accommodate. Hey. That's made up, right? You think so? Yeah, 100%. There's no way. First of all, there's no way Jerry Reinsdorf has any idea where he was uh, assigned. Give me a break, mm, right? Yeah. Um, well, they just they didn't, Jordan, 6, they I know, didn't have 6,000 seats at single A. How about this? That's what it was. Was that? They didn't it's, have 6,000 seats at single A. Right. Well, it's not. I mean, yeah. And like here's that's a, all it is. Right. It, okay. You, now, if you say to me, we're going to get to a place where we can maximize ticket income, mm-hmm. or or if, and, and you may know this better than I do, I assume there's no way the major league team owns all those minor league teams. It's a, an affiliation agreement, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, it depends, and they've had Birmingham forever, so I'm not positive. Like, you think Reinsdorf actually pays the water bill in Birmingham? Probably not, but it's it's uncommon. I, I assume, the fact that they still have Birmingham as their double-A team now, like, I bet that they're one mm-hmm. of five teams that still has the same double-A team from Yeah, but I but I assume that it's a multi-year contract, and, and I assume... Little towns in Alabama bid on, you know, to the Yankees or to the Cubs who gets to be the affiliate. And I bet you it's reasonable money for the Cubs to have a bit of an auction on who wants to be our double different. He's probably a different owner. I mean, Chuck Greenberg owns the Rough Riders now, right? Right. But they're always a Rangers affiliate. Yeah. So forever and ever. So is it as simple as the White Sox are listening to which of the card dealer owners uh, <laughs> in those, in those cities are willing to, you know, give the White Sox the best split of the ticket revenue. I, I don't have any idea. I, I, I highly thing, though, doubt it was, man, let's look at our depth chart of our entire system and see where Michael Jordan fits in. Right. But <laughs> Reinsdorf point with his point was that they had never put someone straight into double a and, I, I that is as far as I know correct. I, I they've had a lot of I, high draft picks. Like uh, I just I looked agree. it up. Chris Sale w- pitched in the majors in his draft year, and they still started him off in high A. Wow. So, I, I, I I'm just telling you that every single press box in 1995 in minor league baseball had about eight seats in it. Yeah. Every one of them. Yeah. You know, and and so. I 
So the idea that, man, AA has a much better press facility. <laughs> Dude, the biggest ones were like a single wide trailer with windows. Trust yeah. me. I, I, all, the, I, all the stadiums in Birmingham are the same. I mean, come on. Yeah, but so Kannapolis I, didn't, have the, uh, didn't have the double wide, you know? That's <laughs> true. That's true. just on a, a grass lawn. I, I, <laughs> I assume, first of all, I assume that uh, after spring training, it wasn't 300 people like you darvish's first year it wasn't this massive traveling show yeah it was it was probably a couple chicago reporters mm -hmm. and a couple places around birmingham would send people to games and uh i assume i didn't even realize he was there a whole season was that that's how i didn't even realize he was there a whole season yeah yeah I, like that's how little coverage like after spring training i think the story just like went away like jordan's O for first 15 or something like that right. bye yeah see ya this i is do over. want to go back and watch that 30 for 30 again i'm sure mm -hmm. tc probably has this week but uh jordan rides the bus when's the last time you saw that chuck uh when it came out but you oh, know. okay okay yeah i, I want to go watch it again remember it yeah yeah no, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't it's on the espn app it started auto playing earlier whenever i was leaving the tv running yeah yeah it's fascinating yeah, the uh, the press conference whenever he's leaving, uh, like the number of national news people that were there, like non-sports national news, and that, that guy summed it up great, the one that was like, you know, you may think it shouldn't be the biggest story. It fucking mm -hmm. is. Yeah. Um, that, was he the first person that like the coverage of their coverage was a story? Right. Yeah. Like yeah. how many people are here? Like they would quote the 115 international reporters here, that type of shit. Dude, and I, 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 I so. wonder, I wonder how that would like, like I think that the closest thing in LeBron's career would be if he had had a just a press conference instead of the um, Jim Gray event for the uh, the decision, <laughs> yeah. and would would that have been that big of a press event? And I'm not sure, dude. Like that 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 thing was huge. Yeah, yeah. I, I I wonder. You know, I, I believe in that Dean Smith stuff a little bit. I never really loved Dean Smith at all, but uh, I'm just a hater. Um, <laughs> but I, I do wonder, even when you talk about LeBron and Michael, um, something as simple as, as their backstory um, and the effect that has on you. And, and even though it's a joke, or at least it was amongst me and my friends, um, about him being cut from his high school team, uh, that was... <laughs> About the mm -hmm. one millionth time we heard that story, yeah. we we kind of started just turning it into the funniest thing in the world, or just the just the most made up, or the the coach's you know speech book has to always mention that Michael also was cut from his sophomore year. Which, first of all, your sophomore year, I'm supposed to think that's breaking news or something like that. Everyone gets cut their sophomore year, uh, <laughs> but but whatever, you know. So from there, if you can just if you could just match up like birthdays with LeBron and Michael and just like, what was the first time LeBron was on the cover of SI? Uh, um, he was 16 or 17 when he was at St. Mary's or whatever. Right. right. Yeah. So, yeah. so roughly, mm -hmm. roughly the time Michael's getting cut, LeBron's yeah. on the cover of SI. Yeah. Give yeah. or take. And I think, I think you're going to the same place that I've had this theory forever. And it's because, I did a lot of psychology in school and yeah. realizing the difference in a human being between 16 years old and 22. Right. You're a completely different person. Yeah. And yeah. if you have responsibility earlier, if you have great success, like LeBron did, obviously getting drafted number one, you yep. just turn into a different 
person in these formative years. Right. Depending on your experience. Yeah. And so imagine Dean Smith holding LeBron, his minutes down, his points down, <laughs> trying to explain to him that, hey, James Worthy and Sam Perkins are pretty good too. And, you know, just, just that upbringing that, look, Carolina basketball was here before you got here. Carolina yeah. basketball is going to be here when you're gone. And it's not this one and done, you know, uh, Kentucky stuff. This is, you've got to go for three years. You've got to carry bags that first year. You've got to sort of pay your dues. And, and you know, then you'll be an upperclassman. And and uh, by then you'll be a true Carolina man. You know, it's like a Michigan man or just all these, all these things that are still kind of true in football. But it, I, I just... I think, I think, uh, even though I believe with my heart that every 18 year old should be allowed to go to the NBA if they're ready. I also think we should at least recognize there are some real effects to their career. Um, you know, and, yeah, and that just now, seems like an unsolvable problem though. Oh, it is. But I think it does explain yeah. why Michael was who Michael was and LeBron is who LeBron is. And, and, and I don't think any of it is God given talent. And I mean, both of them, by the time they get to 30 or whatever, there's no one on the planet that could tell them anything. That's right. That's clear enough. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, no, it's, (laughs) it's, it's very similar to, you know, a, a related, but different theory on why, you know, green Bay quarterbacks all turn into demigods by the time they're 30. I mean, there's, there's certain environmental things that are just not healthy for a grown man to, to experience and, and, you know, some, some, I guess, uh, just turn out differently than others. But I thought, and this is not probably original, but I thought last night kind of going through Michael's head on why he is who he is and why you may not understand it if, A, you are seeing this in the year 2020, or B, you've never won anything, or C, both, um, why all this looks like a psychopath, you know, and, 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 no. you know, I just, there's, there's a lot there, but you know, it, it, exp- I thought this series has helped explain LeBron versus Kobe to me a lot better. You know, I mean, I was kind of saying this on the air and I don't know that everyone's ready for this conversation because Kobe is, uh, I suppose maybe dying young has helped him not be quite the villain, but I don't think a lot of people really cared that he's a great girl dad up until the time <laughs> of his death. I think, you know, the people that really can't stand Kobe. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> are, are probably. Present. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's a real normal take. I never, I never disliked Kobe. Um, I think, I think I can consistently say um, that either I didn't have an opinion on him probably from 96 to 98 or so to kind of being skeptical when they ran Dell Harris out of town to once Phil got there, I'm like, whoa, okay. Now I'm, now I'm coming clear on the Kobe, Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, you know, triangle and Simba and just the, the whole bit, you know, I mean, Kobe, I'm not positive an athlete, especially one who's not related to, um, his, his leader. I'm not sure anyone's performed the cover band to the extent of Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. Just, yeah. just everything. Just, yeah. It's like he followed a freaking textbook, and and to, in a way, it almost makes it more impressive, right? Because Michael 
did not have the extra baggage of of trying to be somebody else while winning six titles. I mean, mm-hmm. imagine, and I suppose that, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, affecting your voice, uh, for, for any sort of reasons where you're like, man, you sure you, that's your normal voice. Oh no, no. Yeah. It's a totally normal voice. I don't believe it. I think you're acting, but I also think you've been acting so long that you don't know you're acting anymore, and you've kind of yeah. more turned comfortable into, acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've kind of mm-hmm. turned into that character, and so now maybe it's not hard work for you. But imagine trying to be Michael Jordan somehow, not not equaling Michael, but but to a whole generation, maybe you are the best player they've ever seen, win five titles, and kind of doing it completely jacking someone else's complete bag like everything hard driving you know just just uh just a maniac a competitor but but also like a um elder statesman of the sport and just all these weird things um and yet nobody really cares that you did it and i i don't really care i i I almost think man how about that this guy took both of our idols and yet you know, I'm this goofy looking, you know, middle-aged white guy now. And, and, and Kobe, there are certain, certain of us out there that actually look at him and say, are you sure you're not Michael's son or something like that? So it's, (laughs) it's, 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 it's just weird. Well, if you watch Michael Jordan and you are a disciple of Jordan and the things you take away from that are that I'm supposed to be a psychopath until I win. Yeah. And after that, I'm going to continue to be a psychopath and treat people like like S all the time and just yell at my teammates. And that's the stuff I never vibed with Kobe on. Right. Right. What's interesting, though, is LeBron, I think, was just as obsessed. And I wonder if it's I wonder if it's the six years in difference. Now, clearly, that's only part of it. But I but every every few years, society changes at such a rapid rate of what's acceptable, what's a bad look and, and how much of your private life actually gets out into the wild and, and how much people are willing to say about you. And, and, you know, I think Michael was at a time where you felt really, really weird saying anything about your Michael experience that wasn't perfectly positive. Mm-hmm. And, and then a couple of years later, uh, I think Kobe's teammates were like, Dude, you are not Michael, especially Shaq. I mean, Shaq, yeah. Shaq was never so impressed with Michael that he would hold Michael higher than him. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. totally different position. And Michael you never know. had anything like a Shaq. No, no. And, and 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 by the time we got to LeBron, who is now, I wonder what how old he is when when Michael retired the first time. Well, I guess LeBron's thirty six, so that's yeah. not that hard to do the math. But by the by the time we got to him, now I think subconsciously in the public eye, and maybe this is from being on the cover of SI when you're 15, um, you're actually more worried about what everyone thinks about you and how everything you do is going to be thrown back at you if you don't do it just right. And now you're this real people pleaser of a superstar that everything you do kind of feels fake or mm-hmm. following a script or a formula or something like that. And maybe that's why LeBron's never totally resonated with me. It's not because he's not clearly an unbelievable basketball player. It's that he always kind of felt like, um, I don't know. He never felt real to me. He never felt like an authentic version who was always going to be like this. Um, 
because so much of what he did, especially after he got burnt the first time with the decision, um, then he was kind of living inside his own head for so long that I think he probably lost track of what mattered to him before that and now just wanted to kind of be, he just wanted everyone to kind of like him um for who he was and and i get it i mean i'm as insecure as anybody but um i i you know i don't i've never thought michael was insecure i thought michael literally was born to destroy you know i mean i i joked a little bit that he's Genghis khan just because <laughs> he would absolutely rather die than lose to you like he i i don't doubt that for a second he he did not want to lose. He did not want anything. He didn't care about your friendships. He doesn't honestly care about his family, probably. And and now that's like uh, a reason to feel sorry for a great athlete. I mean, even the like the Aaron Rodgers stuff is is you know obviously I I I, I have a certain bias there, but I do think that you know to to certain people it's like yeah okay MVPs and Super Bowl, but is your family like you <laughs> do you think michael cares about that at all no i don't think he does and the other thing against aaron is man he seems to be kind of mean to his teammates who does he think he is well i suggest he might be a guy who grew up kind of thinking michael jordan was the the role model no so i'm not i'm in no way am i comparing those two athletes but i but now as i look at the modern athletes especially the ones who who seem to um uh often be you know the 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 target of some ridicule um i think you have two types i think you have those who we don't think they stand for anything and they're kind of they kind of seem designed to try to please us. Um, I think Russell Wilson gets affected by that. I think he gets accused of, dude, you don't really believe in anything, do you? Except, uh, you know, trying those to brain bubbles, <laughs> as it were. And and then you get the others that, man, this guy must really be a jerk. And I bet you nobody actually likes him. And and I think you know, I think modern day Michael would probably fall under that heading. And I'd like to think he wouldn't be changed by social media, but I'm probably kidding myself. I, I'm not positive anyone has the power to win that much and still not care. It you know, I think even, I think even I think even Tiger cares. You know, I think Tiger cares a lot of of how he's perceived nowadays, and I think he's really changed over the last five years. And I I don't think you're giving him credit for that, TC. <laughs> <laughs> With Rogers, like, uh, you know, what, what what am I supposed to do here? Like, uh, I'm not going to be like he's great, he's awesome. I wish he was mine. <laughs> no, I'm not I, asking you got to go with something in this family stuff, boy. That's that's a juicy avenue. <laughs> well, if he's like Michael, and uh, he's probably not, but if he's like Michael. You're not really even going to hurt him with that. Like, uh, I mean, I'm just like, not going to hurt him. I'm just trying to have fun. You know, <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so I, I want to make one quick point, and then I want to get into a, a, a big talk. Um, so one, as far as like criticisms of the documentary, mm-hmm. uh, if, if Ooh, I'm just trying to... If I'm trying to, I'm, I, I don't think I am. I don't know. If I'm trying okay. to like, you know, think of like the absolute best... Like this is so good that I want that the only thing I can compare it against to criticize it is the world's perfect. Like I'm God and I get to pick everything. And in that version, we would have I don't know maybe another ten hours 
just explaining how the gambling stuff evolved. Like, I want to know the first mm. time you bet money on anything. I want to know how he met fucking Slim. I want to know, like, all the people he's gambling with. I want to know the origin story of each of them. Like, it, it when, whenever they came back at the start of the episode and we were talking about stuff other than the gambling, and I was like, all right, so that's going to be it on the gambling. That's okay. <laughs> but uh, it would, like, things that would take this to an absolute other level of stuff we never heard before yeah that's the the treasure trove of things of if he were willing to talk about that right yeah. that would be something What's else first time you gambled ten thousand dollars in a day what yeah was that, Mike? no no <laughs> it's, about it, that? let's yeah. talk about that it's interesting for sure so so i i do want to know that i i, I when i saw that which episode was it? When I saw him basically sit on his couch with his cigar and basically saying <laughs> this this is what his life is, for some reason that's when it all sort of made sense to me that even modern times with cell phones and even online games and FaceTime, like it's so hard to try to remember what 1991 would be for the world's biggest celebrity. And though in 1991, maybe the world's biggest celebrities were Michael Jackson and Michael Jordan. And, yeah. and, and so, I mean, that picture fact, of them too with Macaulay Culkin, like, yeah, <laughs> all three well, of those, those are some difficult waters to navigate. Oh I yeah. Assume. Yeah. And, 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 and so with Michael Jordan, so it was 1987, the first time I was taken to a Michael Jordan game. And my dad, man, it was one of those times where I don't even think I was begging my dad for tickets. Like, I think he just asked me, because was, this was back when you had to go to, like, Sears and Milwaukee to get tickets, which was an hour away, but he was going there for something. And he's like, uh, give me, you know, give me the three teams you'd like to see the Bucks play, and I'll see if there are tickets available for any of them. And I, all I remember was he got home and, you know, I was following him into his room and he's putting him into his drawer and he showed me what he got. And it was like the last few games of the season, Chicago was coming in. He's like, I couldn't get Lakers, but I got you Chicago. And I'm like, whoa, we're going to go see Michael Jordan. That's great. And it, it was so great, TC. Uh, it was at the old Mecca. Jordan scored 50. I actually <laughs> I actually have the game and I should put it on my YouTube channel. Please uh, do. Maybe tonight, but it's Michael scoring 50 on a Bulls team that sucked. The Bucks were better as they were for most of those first 4 or 5 Jordan years. But I remember I remember uh basically touching Michael's arm. Oh, uh, coming out into warmups was a little little uh, 14-year-old Bob, um, you know, in the give me five line. And, uh, and you know, the Mecca was so small that, that I think as he went by, I touched his right arm or something dumb like that. But that's when it first occurred to me how busy his life was, how there's no place for quiet. Maybe it didn't occur to me at 14, but I always remembered that. Let's, let me say that. Let me, let me say that the crowd around him, so this is April of 87. So he wasn't close to having blown up like he was going to. Mm -mm. And, and already by then, his teammates were being completely ignored. And that occurred to me later that even though you have friends, I don't know that anyone, even if they live with you, fully understands what you're dealing with. Um, your name's always on the marquee. Their name isn't. Uh, you're always in the highlights. They're not your Jersey selling. theirs is not. So, so even the guys you're with, 
are kind of doing something different with their lives than you are. And, and that's cool. Um, it sounds like, especially in the nineties, he spent a lot of time with magic and like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Like the one other guy in the league that might understand a little bit of what he deals with for various reasons had to stop being your direct competitor. Right, you know, right, yeah, yeah. Because he absolutely. wasn't going to open up to any of those guys, and he's still playing with them. I don't think. No, no, that's true. That's true. It's it's. Um, so anyway, I I came around to just the simple premise that he was trapped in his own skin for so long that one of. I mean, if you just start thinking about the fact that you can't go anywhere in your entire life except the gym and the hotel. And even then, you're in your hotel room because the second you go to the lobby, everybody loses their mind. Every second you go to the the gym in the hotel, the second you go to the restaurant in the hotel, and especially if you're going to try to walk across the street to, you know, to go get, you know, to the record store or whatever existed back then. So there's so little now in your hotel room. You don't have a laptop. What's that? You don't have on demand. You don't have, I mean, you're literally watching live TV in the middle of the day, which is soap operas and almost nothing else. I would read so many books. (laughs) And so you're just, you're just trying to go through what we consider entertainment in our lives with what was actually available in 1991. And you quickly, quickly get to the fact that one option he has, very similar to O.J. Simpson, by the way, where if you wanted to get away and try to find some normal version of life, it would be a country club. Yeah. I mean, it would be a golf course and probably a private one where you could not take that crowd with you. And and so I'm fine being at a golf course and not gambling and not even meeting anybody. But I'm probably weird for being that guy. And, and, and Michael... Um, I don't know. I, I like, like the idea that he went to the two places where there is gambling. So if you want to be obviously honest to yourself and maybe even a little cynical, you would say, okay, um, he just has competitiveness in his body. Fine. But honestly, a casino and a golf course are two places that are built to keep people out that don't have a purpose for being there. Yeah. And, 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 and so I guess when I, when I try to imagine what life was like for Michael Jackson or Michael Jordan, uh, Michael Jackson found other ways to occupy his time, which uh, we probably don't have time for here, Mm -hmm. but, but Michael Jordan (laughs) life on the road, dude, you got two off days in Phoenix. Um, it's not hard to connect the dots on what a dude with all the money in the world would end up doing if he didn't just want to buy hookers all day. And, and I assume that gets really tired after your third year in the league. So and I think that timeline matches up. Cause I don't, there's, no, there's certainly nothing about him gambling or anything like that in North Carolina. And you know, the, the person he's describing whenever he tells that story about his teammates as a rookie, where he's like, I didn't even drink back then. Like, you know, I, I, I think that all of those various things came much like, you know, like, I, yes. So I, I, th- I think you're right that I, d- I don't believe he started gambling until, you know, he was uh, well progressed along, along his NBA career. I mean, that's what I think. And then I also think that a lot of NBA players like golf, but they don't get to it till about year five or six when they do realize that the clubs and the girls are kind of an overrated experience that you're over. And now you're like, man. I don't know. I just, there's got to be something to do on the road that's not 
destructive. Uh, and, and, and then I think, you know, I think a lot of NBA players do figure out that golf is a great way to pass the time and it's sort of fun and you can sort of compete, you can sort of gamble. And, but I don't think they get there. Mike, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I bet you they don't get there till they're 27 or 28 a lot of times. And oh, then, and, that, and then they're it's, awful. It's, it's 30. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like, JJ just started golfing like a couple years ago, right? Okay. Like Luca doesn't golf. Maxie yeah, doesn't yeah. Golf. No, no way. Luca's got to Dwight. golf yet. Yeah. None of those dudes. Their lives are like still so just. I think he's going to be good. They're though. noisy. <laughs> yeah, and 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 Fortnite might change this model, by the way. Yeah. Because yeah. no, all all the dudes bring their own. I mean, every bag has their own PS4 or Xbox in it now. And and traveling still isn't super fun, right? Like when I have to travel with the team, like we'll get to game ends, go catch a plane. Okay, now we're in Minnesota. Right. Now try and get some food. Try and get a normal amount of sleep. Tomorrow you have an off day in Minnesota. What the hell are you going to do? Right. Like, what are you doing? You can't go anywhere. No. You're Luka Doncic. Like, right. you walk out to the You walk out of the hotel and there are 20 people there, like, already. And that's our little guy. That's right. not the biggest athlete and celebrity that existed at that time. Yeah, and there's... So... That's, that, that's wild. And then there's also that simple discussion of whether or not celebrities were actually a bigger deal back then before we knew everything about them before they were everywhere mm-hmm. all the time i don't know if that's true or not but there's there's a there's a myth mythical mm-hmm. idea of michael jordan because he wasn't always in our face and so it felt like a moment when he was in our city where where i, I don't know if instagram has changed that i don't know if tmz's changed that. I, I don't know what it is but there's something about our comfort level saying Kevin Durant or Aaron Rodgers or whoever is kind of a dork that uh, I don't think I would even like. Now, if Kevin Durant's in the next table to you at Chick-fil-A or something, you probably would get over your the fact that you MF him to your friends all the time. But, <laughs> no. but, at, but at the same time, right, that initial view of somebody as big a deal – how about this one? Imagine Kevin Durant in 1992. You wouldn't know he had burner accounts. You wouldn't know no. he was insecure. All you would know is he's a freaking unbelievable basketball player, and and he'd probably benefit from being around mm-hmm. back then because you wouldn't know all the quirky things about the way he conducts himself online mm-hmm. even, right? Yeah. yeah. Grow, I mean, making a brand and constructing this figure that everyone wants to buy a product from is not a new thing. Right. We think we think we think building a brand is a new thing, right? We used to just not see all the strings. We exactly. used to not see, okay, here's a post for a supplement company, hashtag ad on, on IG. Yeah. Right. 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 With that, that they used to not exist. It's you saw what you saw and that's how you that's how you interpreted another human being. And the that's type, what it was. I'm sure it was way easier to navigate too, because now oh, yeah. you take one wrong turn on social media and now you got dudes in your comments reminding you about mm-hmm. it the rest of your career, probably. Whereas, yep. whereas Michael, I mean, you didn't even know. You like, like you could go a week without a new morsel of Michael Jordan information back then. Now, there are actual accounts that are dedicated to just telling you little Michael anecdotes, you know, all the time, mm-hmm. and just it's 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 a real interesting experiment. Could Michael? even be Michael today. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think part of, part of his mystique was that you didn't 
actually know him. And and yeah. I bet I bet you his competitors were probably put in a different spot than LeBron's competitors just because I don't know. Maybe LeBron's maybe maybe LeBron's competitors it doesn't mean they have any more success stopping him, let me be clear. But at least uh they, they don't actually think they're going up against Superman. Like they kinda know that LeBron gets mad at this and can't mm-hmm. you know i, I don't know yeah I, like they I'm probably sure. laughed at him after the decision you know like yeah they've laughed <laughs> at him with their friends no one laughed about michael jordan and uh i i like this documentary is more of his internal thought processes than i thought we would ever get i agree like, I, I, i've uh, like this is what doubling tripling the amount of uh stuff out there of like mm-hmm. him saying this is what i was thinking at the time and like being candid about it dude you're you're spot on uh and even him laughing at gary payton yeah (laughs) like there's those parts are awesome and i did not expect that they would hammer him on like this many things and he would play with it the thing that it really annoyed me at the end of this episode which i almost wish they would have just like saved for the end or just rolled out on the first episode is you're gonna wait seven episodes to really get michael's grill about him being a functioning psychopath and get a real answer out of him about it. And at the end of episode seven, that was like, I thought he was either going to be like, that's enough guys. Can we just like chill out for a minute? You yeah. know, I've told you everything. Like I want to win. That's it. But he got into it. Yeah. And he got emotional because he sees like, this is what I've become. I did it willingly. This is the only way I know. I guess I'm going to blame it on my dad or whoever like drove me to be this way. I'm this insane competitor and I'm going to leave a trail of dead behind me, but I'm going to have six titles and you're going to respect me Mm -hmm. because of that. And if you say something, if you say, if you say otherwise, do you have six titles? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think so. I I, I loved it. I mean, uh, I think I went back and it was Ryan Rosilio that actually did tweet uh, let me know when I get, to, I'm supposed to get to the part where I, I don't, I, I don't like him more yeah, mm-hmm. or something like that. I'm sure I butchered it, but the, the general premise of, uh, I didn't ask a single dude to do anything I wasn't already doing or wasn't willing to do myself. Yeah. I mean, that, that means a lot, man. That means yeah. a lot. And it's absolutely authentic. It's true. It's true. It's true. We've and got, so, you know, we're, we're sitting there staring at hours and hours of footage of proof. Right. And mm-hmm. and honestly, if the Scott Burrell stuff is supposed to make me feel like uh um man, what a what a <laughs> horrible guy, or if you're gonna tell That's me every locker room, man, that is every locker room about, anyone's ever been in. How about people acting like they've never experienced a sports fight at practice before? I mean, that's the most basic stuff no. ever. Um yeah, I I I was in fights. Uh, not, I mean, obviously, not comparing, not going expo here on you to compare uh, uh, my experience to Michael freaking Jordan, but um, but you did t- fight expo to practice once. Uh, that was no, that was a game. That's totally different. Please tell, <laughs> but please tell me you have more than this. Is is basically what I would say to anybody who wants me to hate this guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I you know I, I would like to spend uh I, we this has been a long podcast already, but I, I feel like this topic uh you know merits merits a lot of discussion. Um, it's certainly the thing I've been thinking about most since then. Uh, I think that like I, I saw someone um writing criticism. I think it was uh Tom Fernelli maybe, but I could be wrong. I I probably beef that. Um, 
just saying like uh, they were disappointed that no one in the documentary presents an alternative view that uh, maybe he didn't absolutely need to do this. The evidence for that being like you look at the people who've won championships since then, like obviously Kobe's doing the same thing, but like Tim Duncan didn't. You know, and like right. it, it was not to his detriment. You know, the, the Warriors are, you know, the uh, the gold standard now. And I don't think that any of them are necessarily I, I don't think that's the culture that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the one person who does push back on it in the documentary a little bit and not like saying we didn't need this, but just like you could tell he did not see things the same way Jordan did is Phil, you know, Phil had the little bit where he was like, you know, I'd have to tell him like part of being a captain is also like team camaraderie and communicate and like, you know, making the guys feel good and excited to play. Um, But yeah, as far as the idea that that any of this was was, was so far past the line that you'd be like, oh, what a monster. Uh, Yeah, it all seems pretty normal to me. I I would say that more than any of the practice footage, the thing that kind of left the impression with me is just the barrage of teammates 20 years later being like hmm. yeah it left a real deep imprint on my psyche like that yeah, i i think that it's it, things like that it's it's less a specific thing and more like the sum of the parts of like you know uh just every single day showing up and being like can't i just do one fucking thing without this guy telling me i'm a loser for doing it right yeah yeah no that's that 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 is a deep conversation i mean honestly his parallel and you could say he has no parallels but to me growing up his parallel would be wayne gretzky who was like the most gentleman competitor of all time so to argue that you had to be a killer to be a successful is probably ridiculous probably um Although Wayne Gretzky is not playing in the NBA and Michael Jordan's not playing in the NHL. And uh, Wayne Gretzky had uh, a number of things working for him and against him that are obviously incongruent. Um, But I think in the end, um, what I think of Michael Jordan is, uh, you know, he absolutely felt like his only way to get past those people in his way was just to be more defiant back at them than they were trying to be to him. Like that's the only way he could see around this wall was basically to try to destroy the wall. And once he found that successful, uh, then he kept going back to it and finding out that nobody could stand up to a two week basically war of wills with him. And so I, I just don't believe that that was because of talent. I've even heard it explained that, oh, yeah, you know, perfect uh, perfect build, perfect skill set. You know what? I don't know, man. I've, I, there's a ton of dudes who, who could jump higher, who seem to be more gifted, who, you know, I, I'm sure Machine can make a list for me of guys who are just – physical marvels that washed out of the NBA in, in, in three years. And to me, what made Michael great probably also makes him flawed, which is this tireless obsession with one goal. And, and as somebody who follows all of these sports, like I do, I, it, it occurs to me that not everybody has the same goal. Some, and, and by the way, it's understandable. Um, 
I, I always well, think of it's just priorities, of, right? Oh my gosh! I, you, I think of I think of some of these baseball players or hockey players that are from the poverty that our country doesn't even know. Like like I know the NBA certainly has a reputation for being the sport where guys are trying to get out of really bad poverty stricken situations. I'm not denying that. I'm also suggesting to you that there's poverty well below American poverty. Mm-hmm. And and that's like where Kukoc coach was talking about. Well, yeah, yeah. And, he's like and, my my homeland is like gone right. because civil war. Right. And that's and that's something that uh uh you know baseball is really fluent in mm-hmm. and, and, and hockey and so I always thought of Val Nichushkin as a good example of um, a, a American or a guy who made it to America uh, playing hockey and then when he got here all he wanted to do is like buy wild animals and get tattoos <laughs> and, and, and meet women and because to him that was the end of the rainbow like that was like winning titles was so far from the goal the goal was to get to the NBA or the NHL in his case and get paid and so imagine reaching your life's destination at age 20. Like, like I want to do this, and now I've done it. And very similar, I guess, to Michael's three-peat, Val Nichushkin is now on an NHL roster, and now it is, I guess, to enjoy the spoils of my accomplishments. And I'm mm-hmm. not really sure what I'm supposed to do now in life, but, boy, this is really cool where I am right now. And Michael... I'm convinced, and, and and Tigers is very similar. That's that's the weird thing about those two guys is that you can kind of see the parallels of their upbringing, how little possessions meant to them to this day. How you know, obviously, they're not giving all their money away, and they probably have very sweet private planes, and they have to decide which of their private planes is their favorite. Seems but, to be a nice house that he's uh, giving oh, these interviews. In. Lovely houses, everything's yeah. great. But at no point did gaining any of that changed them a bit yeah. uh and, and no point did any titles change them a bit they were they were sort of competing against themselves and so they you know i realized tiger is still trying to reel jack in but man i really kind of think tiger's been just saying i want to get back to the previous version of me or the version before that of me and so you're not even worried about anyone else in your sport. You are now on this weird level where if you finish second in a golf tournament of a hundred guys, you've disappointed people. And, and again, this goes back to why it makes perfect sense where tigers just shuts down playing professional golf until he's right again. And why Michael just thought, you know what? Double a baseball actually sounds pretty good to me is you get to get to the spot where once for once, you're actually an underdog again, and people doubt you again, and you now you feel like you have a chance of success because everyone else thinks you're failing. And it's 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 a it's a weird mental road, but but to see Michael sort of explain his fire might be like someone trying to explain the Chinese language to us in ninety seconds. Like we were hearing you, and it's to some of us it just 
feeds what we want to hear is that Michael did not care about what everyone else cared about. He cared about this. And that's why you guys, that's why you scored eight in an NBA finals game, man. That's why right there, right there, you know, and, 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 uh, that's why this other guy, you know, thinks load management is a really cool thing. When Michael played every single game for the final three years of his career, and I just don't believe would have ever been on board with it. And maybe he would have gone along with it if he came along nowadays, but I kind of feel like he'd be vocal about about this is bad for our product. I, I don't know, um, but that ninety seconds I think was the best part of the series. To be honest, just because he's like, yeah, this is really weird that I have to kind of explain what I'm mm-hmm. all about, and it's also weird that even a guy like Scott Burrell or or uh, you know Pete Myers, who made the NBA, think about how hard that is. They just don't quite get you know the book i'm reading from right now and and they never will and that'll be fine and i i think that i i like the way that they laid it out because uh you can only put it like at the end of all this because it's it just seems really obvious to me the way that it is shaped by him feeling like all throughout the 80s that he's doing the absolute most that he can and the pistons are still kicking his ass Mm -hmm. and then he's left with like what else is there? Like, what what else can I do? Like, I'm not going to settle for just Pistons kicking my ass. And I, I think what he's left with is I have to fucking be an asshole to every single person I'm around all of the time uh, because this is, you know, I, I think that if I, if I do, that they'll be thinking about this on their drive home and that they'll do an extra session of practice, you know, and, and you know, that, that, that someone like the Pistons won't bother them mentally because... You know, they, they're just so scarred already from all the things he's been doing to them. Yeah. Uh, and like the way that the documentary is laid out, like it almost feels dangerous how how much they like make that like a foregone conclusion of like, of course, this is what he has to do, because I don't know, I, I watch this and I, I, I've never felt uh, closer. Like, I, you know, I, I kind of consider that attitude to be the dark side and I, I, mm-hmm. I feel so close to it now. <laughs> like, I really want to just be Vader. I was wondering how you would take it, man, because I know that you think there's another way to do things. I mean, there obviously is. Of course there is. Uh, but, and, but and, I, and that I, way doesn't leave people like 20 years later. Like some of those teammates, like Jed Bushler has a look right. in his eyes that like only fucking abused spouses have, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. And none yeah. of Tim Duncan's teammates say that. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. The, and, the part and, that and, flies in my face on, on his exact comments is the only thing, and I can't, it's hard to describe whenever you see somebody talking about something that brings you so much joy and brings so many people so much joy and they've taken the joy out of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's the thing that's always bothered me about him and has really bothered me about Kobe because once you start copying, you're a copy of a copy of a copy. You just get, you just get the poles, right? right? You get the bipolar sections, um, is when you take, joy out of the game of basketball which is one of the things i've had the most fun in my life doing Mm -hmm. it's like a top three thing i love to do i love to play basketball sure and when you take the joy out of it and the only repercussions and feedback loop that you have is negative man that i don't i'm not saying he did it wrong he obviously didn't do it wrong it just it just doesn't jibe with my internal thinking or my beliefs in any way yeah so i always watch that and i cringe a little bit and then him wanting like a pound of flesh from his teammates because they weren't there in 1984 
and didn't yeah. get their asses kicked by the Pistons, like you weren't here, so I'm gonna kick the shit out of you now. Right. Is like the most like abusive, weird mentality that I can't wrap my head around. No, no, it, it you're right. And and there's a that feels like a counterpunch to the no, I'm not going to hold your shoulder pads type kid attitude when they enter the pros uh, just because most most young players who enter the pros uh, have never failed at anything in their life. And, right. and, and so um, even if they do fail at the pro level, they still see that as success because, you know, what do you know? I'm in the pros, right? And... I don't know. It's it's a different tune for everybody, and like I said, there's a date of birth component in here that I can't even explain on on what makes sense to you and what doesn't make sense to you. Although, uh, you know, the guys uh, on on my show now um, are are pretty much my exact age, and I think Danny hates Michael Jordan and all he stands for, and that's a totally reasonable position to have. But I don't get it at all, and I wonder why that is. It seems I, right for him. Yeah, yeah, and, and 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 look, I I realize that we all project things that may not make sense, uh, or we resonate with things that may not make sense to us, the, the person right next to us. I always found Bill Parcells, for instance, like a guy that I didn't really appreciate. I don't think I would like playing for him. But the longer I heard him, he's on talk, the list I keep of people who uh, were pre- doing psychological terrorism on the people around them. <laughs> right, it's him, right. Bob Knight, and Jordan. Yes, yeah, and, and but but the more I heard Bill Parcells kind of talk through how he sees what amounts to his show, right? I guess if I were to, there were a lot of things that I personally felt that I felt like at times he would describe, which is um, feeling like you're doing a good show, having a good show, getting good results, but still thinking it sucks or it's not as good as it could be, you know? And, and then of course your mind starts saying, yeah, well maybe it's because this guy doesn't care as much as you do, but then how could he care as much as you do if, if his name's not on the show or if he's not getting paid what you're getting paid and just all these things that, that generate teams, and their success or lack thereof, or you know, their separate agendas and their their separate feelings, and versus you know you, um, you know, and this was a part of my insecurities early on doing a show with Dan. Is I don't know, someone told someone got in our ear early on, and it was the idea that um, you know if you guys fail, um, the crew's the crew generally all stays on because the crew for Rocco was my crew going in and then um i forget who was was coop maybe before rocco and i think rick arnett might have gone from coop to rocco to me to me and dan or something like that i i don't remember the exact line but expo was there and so quickly you found out well it's up to you to kind of get the players on your team to care about your show but and then i'm like yeah but in the back of their head they i'm the fourth show they've worked with in four years so they probably see me as the next guy before the next guy, you know, and you just get another short timer who won't work and who cares, you know, we keep getting paid and they'll keep bringing in another guy. And so I imagine what Bill Parcells was trying to say probably came from a sinister, um, 
ugly place of a guy who has lost the ability to ever be happy. But at the same time, it sort of spoke to me on the the natural default position of the human. And the natural default position of the human is to worry far more about your own situation than about the group you're in situation. Because, you know, whether you're on a sales team or radio show or wherever you are, it doesn't take your brain long to figure out that you're only friends with these people because you've all been given jobs in the exact same room. <laughs> and odds are in very, with very few exceptions that none of them will be your friends when you all leave this room. And so, so how do you get everyone to buy in or care or do you just accept that they don't and then just worry about yourself? And, and, and so I, I've always had this weird fascination with what Bill Parcells was preaching because he was able to bring a team together in whatever method he had, he did seem to bring a team together, sometimes against him, but his teams were would generally take on his personality very quickly. And then when he left, they would lose it. And so, I don't know. In because a weird, you would go and hire all those guys at the next place. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 <laughs> right, you're right. But in a weird yeah. sort of way, I started resonating with a guy that i kind of disliked and 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 um i'm not positive how that relates to michael jordan but i, I mean do a, lot of, think a lot of the genesis in my thinking about it actually is parcells because uh this is the 700th time i've recommended this book to you but david halberstram's the education of a coach uh, his bill belichick biography is yeah probably the single best sports book i've ever read and uh it it talks a lot about how Belichick felt when he was working for Parcells, which is that it was a very productive time in his life where he was miserable the entire time and he right. hated it. <laughs> yeah. And that, that he walked out of there, as much as we think of Bill Belichick as a joyless guy, that he walked out of there saying, I know there's a way to do this where people aren't this miserable. And and he feels that he has achieved that. Okay. And yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's weird now, like whenever, yeah. uh, you know, players like, uh, I forget who it was that was taking big shots of like, I think it was the Eagles whenever they got to uh, one title. Right, right, right. Uh, we're, we're saying that, uh, yeah, but we can do it and have fun and you guys don't have fun. <laughs> right, um, right. But I don't think that Belichick does the level of Bill Parcells mind games. I don't think, I think very few people do. No, I don't think mental warfare is the answer, but I do think uh, being happy in a defeat sometimes and being upset in a victory sometimes actually makes way too much sense to me. Yeah. And it might make me a flawed guy, which is why I skull balls. <laughs> so, uh, we got to talk about the Scotty thing. One, um, oh before we totally 94? leave the, the Jordan business, yeah, the, uh, the, the Scotty, Scotty seemed to have very different opinions about how to handle all this. Right. Like even whenever they're talking to him nowadays, he's, Something like, uh, you know, they're like, Does he know what he's you... saying? Like, a lot of the time, what's that? <laughs> Does he know what low. he's saying? Like, <laughs> it's outside of, of your register, your ear can pick up. I'm just like, uh, he I... did this whole holdout, and then he says, Well, of course, they weren't going to trade me. Like, I, last week, I made the joke, it was like the most Rick James moment ever. Whenever Rick James <laughs> yeah. was like, I didn't rub my feet on Charlie's couch, he's like, Hell yeah, I rub my feet on Charlie's couch. <laughs> like, that was that was Scotty going, like, Yeah, I held out, I knew they weren't going to trade me. So I stopped holding out. And this this week he's like, I wouldn't change it. Like it's one of the biggest incidents I regret in my entire life. And he goes, you know, I really wouldn't change that moment. And I was like, 
do you know what some words mean? Right. That was second only about? to the Jordan crying at the end of episode seven. Like, like if that hadn't happened, that would be the most shocking thing from like the, yeah. the recent interviews. Mm-hmm. When those words, like after everything, like they're playing that after they're talking right. about Cartwright fucking right. bawling in the locker room Dude. saying, you let us down. You quit on us, Scotty. Yeah. And he's sitting there and you can tell he knows all this. And like it, it the regret mm-hmm. is like obvious on his face. He acknowledges it in his first statement. And then he says, if I had to do it again, I'd do it that way. <laughs> like yeah. what just happened? <laughs> it, is it? Yeah, is it is it is it? Excuse me, let me spit it out. Is he is it overplayed to say that Michael Jordan and his uh, general view of how to handle things was validated with Scottie Pippen right there? the The idea that Michael had to motivate these guys, set them on their path, and keep them on their path in his own maniacal way because the second he leaves, it quickly turns into this feeding frenzy of, I ain't doing that. What are you What are you talking about? I'm not doing that either. No, no, I'm Scotty Pippen. I, I, and I think that's I, Scotty is Scotty, so misunderstood. You look, you because look at the, like the, the, the business with uh, delaying the surgery is the other piece I put in this frame, right? Right. He's, I think Scotty is incredibly overrated and underrated at the same time. Like it's weird. Like it's, 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 it's weird that you can actually find people that say he was the second best player in the NBA during this time period, which is insane. But you can also find people that, you know, fully don't appreciate what he was, but what he was to me was just a freak player who was absolutely a beta. He just, yeah. He was, he, you know, and, and now does Michael do that to you? I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, uh, another, and not to go back to LeBron, I think it's but, both. At best, it's both. Yeah, probably. But going back to LeBron, I'm like, man, what did those guys do to Chris Bosch? And, mm-hmm. and then, son of a gun, he did the same thing to Kevin Love. Like, these guys were alphas until they got in LeBron's tank, and then they, like, were neutered forever. And, and it, it was like some sick prison yard ritual. It's almost where, like being alphas made them not want to, like, like that they saw what it was like, and they were like, actually, if you'll take all of that off me, I would <laughs> right, really like that. <laughs> right, I don't, I can't sleep at night knowing yeah. I got to take these shots, and I got to go face the media and deal with all this stuff. Being uh, the you third know, option sounds delightful. Right, yes, you know, Dan always used to say Jason Terry got to got to live the perfect life because he would get a really good check, but he would always kind of be the third guy that you would want to ask questions to or blame in a loss. You know, like Dirk always had to take all of the crap for losses, and Jet would just kind of have, you know, obviously this isn't 2011, this is 2005 to like 2010 Jet, but yeah. but. Chet would disappear for two straight games, come back on a third game, go for 28, and everybody would be like, oh, man, Jets are so great. You know, It's like the perfect position. You're not at the tip of the spear. You're not you know, the pinata when things go bad. And there's something to that, right? And, and so I can't fully explain it, but that Pippen thing, and then, of course, Kukoc hits the shot because, of course, Kukoc hits the shot. That doesn't yeah. mean, you know, I, I, I don't care that about that highlight awesome. film. Oh, it was unbelievable. Kukoc was awesome, dude. But I just remember that, watching. That little montage where, like, Kukoc is our designated last-second shot guy. I'm like, eh, I don't really remember it that way, but these are some <laughs> cool highlights, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I guess used to you, love Kukoc, man. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know why. He just right. had a game. He had a weird skill set. Well, remember, 
you know, the Euros he was compared to at the time were mm-hmm. not exactly, um, you know, the world's greatest. Uh, rest in peace to Draza Petrovic, but that's about it. We got it. zero deadlift shrimp in this. Yeah, yeah, right? Like, what are we doing? You know, I mean, it's uh, it, 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 <laughs> you got a little Frank Bukowski, though, so you got to like yeah, that, right? holy crap. <laughs> that guy. But, yeah, um, I, I, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, Scotty, uh, I, I, I wonder how he turns out differently if, if he's like Milwaukee's best player for 10 years versus riding shotgun for Michael and then being handed the steering wheel and kind of thinking you fully get what he was dealing with the whole time. But then so happy he came back and, and actually excelling far more. Scotty's got a real interesting career. Honestly, he got paid once he left Chicago, but mm-hmm. I'm not positive. There's a whole lot of memorable basketball after he left Chicago. And, you know, I mean, it's just it's just a really weird career. I think he's awesome, but I also think um, in an effort to sort of – and maybe it's the LeBron lobby in an effort to prop up other players as better than Michael, you have to say how great Scottie Pippen is, almost the reverse of – all the Romo people who try to tell you DeMarcus Ware sucked and, and uh, you know, everybody around Romo sucked and he was basically playing with a high school team. And, I mean, Scott kills, an amazing kills player. Every, Maybe the second best defensive player in the league at the time. I, I, I could buy that. Eh, sure. Uh, very, very versatile defender. But Great. But even that's in, where debate's in for me. Like, the let's who's the second best player that played with him? Who's the third best? Like, I, that's so right. lame to me. That's the right. stupidest debates that ever happened. Just the boy, but stupid the NBA debates are not hard to find. Though, <laughs> oh, no doubt, <laughs> the year Jordan was gone, he like ticked up to twenty-two points a game. Like you cannot tell me that the guy mm. that, like if you're if the top of your scoring abilities is twenty-two points a game, you're not the second best player in the NBA. No, like, you're Michael Finley. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you're fine. You're Clyde the, Drexler. Like, the Jordan thing, like the. Obviously, I don't got to tell you guys this, but it's just so outside the realm of things that he would like. You know, he he would disagree with coaches. Uh, you know, like the um uh the 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 game five against the Cavs where he hits a shot over Elo in the in the huddle. They're drawing up the play for someone else, and he slams the clipboard and says, "Give me the fucking ball," uh, which is more or less what Scotty was doing in that in mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, uh, to to go back to another thing earlier in Jordan's career, um, whenever they take him out for the uh the like final possession, whenever yes. he's on the minutes restriction because of the broken foot. Whenever they hit that shot, he's not fucking pouting like a bitch on the bench. Yeah. Like he's celebrating with his teammates because the thing he cared about was winning. Scotty cared about respect. Right. Scotty did not give one fucking shit if they won that game because if he did, he would care about having a good inbounds pass. No, he like, got lost in his contract. I mean, he got lost in his contract and the trade rumors. And so insane. his head. Yeah, his head. Your head could, went to regardless of spot. anything that happened, that your head could be there in an NBA playoff game in the right. final possession of a tied game to be like, you know what? If you're not going to give me a good enough shot, I don't even want to be in there. That is yeah. fucking nuts. Like that, no, Bill Cartwright crying is an absolutely acceptable. Like that is <laughs> right. that that's that's what a reasonable person would do in that situation. I don't know too many people who wouldn't be fucking moved yeah. that way over that. That's yeah. the ultimate not keeping the main thing the main thing. Right. Yeah. Right? Like, it's such yeah. a simple phrase. And, like, whenever your parents growing up, they talk to you about priorities. 
you don't realize what that is until you're like 30 years old and you're mm-hmm. like, I really only have time for like three things in my life. Right. And I really only have time for like two. The third one I think about like every other day, maybe. Exactly. Right. Yep. And Scotty, his priorities, number one was like, make Scotty look fucking cool. Great. And get respect for Scotty. And that was one. Yeah. And the rest was like, I don't know, maybe play some basketball on three. I don't know. Maybe and smile I- and show up my Jordan shoes. Yeah, and I'm sure that playing with Michael uh, over the course of time, you know, you probably would feel marginalized a little bit. But, hey, you know, hopefully you also have the perspective of understanding the good far outweighs the bad. But, you know, that 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 was – I don't know if that can be made enough of the the – I mean, dude, if they not, lost that, if like that inbounds pass gets deflected or something, right. like, dude, he never ever lives that down. Yeah, we got it, knocked out because of you. Isn't that crazy? I mean, and I, then when I, Jordan comes I'm back, I'm inclined it's to like, say Jordan's right that he didn't live it down. Now, like we're yeah, you know we're yeah. sitting here talking about it. Right, that's true. That's true. And I, I mean, rightfully so. The the fact that Scotty was in, like he was definitely included in that montage of people being like Jordan was a really difficult teammate. Um, mm. and I, I think that try, cause their relationship, I, I think is probably the most interesting thing to me about mm-hmm. this entire sure. time of like sure. figuring out exactly. Cause Scotty is a complicated guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I, I think where I sit on it currently is that Scotty absolutely needed an alpha around him and that he knew he needed it. And he resented the fact that he knew he needed it. Like he, mm-hmm. he, I, I think that he, he hated himself would have been a loss it. without it and knew that. And it fucking tore him up. And that's, th- that makes sense to me. Do you think he knew it though, before Michael left or was he sort of talking himself into this is kind of going to be sweet because I mean, now I bet he goes back and forth on it all the time. Yeah, probably, yeah. probably. I, I, I just, I wonder if it's one of those classic cases though of, thinking something's going to be something that it's not, you know, it's yeah. all fun. It's all fun oh, games yeah. when you're winning titles, but boy, this three game losing streak, Scotty, we need to ask you some pointed questions. What? <laughs> well, his, what? his comment about it was still kind of weird, right? They mm-hmm. were like, how was that first season without Michael? And he goes, Oh, it was great. Everyone's right. getting a lot of shots. <laughs> right. No one's, no one, yeah, no one's yelling at us. No, we don't have to practice as much. We get yeah. off days. And he seems know. to right. think that it's like a, a fine validation of things, you know, that, uh, that they had this season. I'm like, he didn't win the title that year. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, that's, that's the one thing I can't quite wrap my head around is by 1998, what was Phil Jackson's role? Because mm-hmm. in real time, I remember thinking – that Michael uh, or that Phil was kind of busy fighting his own battles on the side. And as I watch this, and I'm willing to be, you know, uh, convinced otherwise by by 10 o'clock on Sunday. But as it currently stands, it appears that he's done pretty much nothing except go to his best player to ask if his third or fourth best player can go to Vegas because he needs a break. And I'm not saying that that's not, you know, coaching, but it kind of looks like Michael Jordan is player coach by 95, 96, let alone 97, 98. Yeah, but I I, I think that there's and Tex Winter's running the offense, and yeah. he's, he, Pippen and Jordan and Rodman are on your defense. So I, I I think Phil Jackson is an amazing coach, arguably the best of all time. 
I'm just not sure what he was doing for the last dance other than naming it the last dance. <laughs> I think that there's not there's a lot of guys that couldn't have stayed out of the way, which you know that's true. I, I think yeah. is the right tactic. And yeah, he's an I, egoless. You know, just, just hand hand Michael a new book every month and uh, <laughs> and talk to Rodman about Indians, and we're we're straight. Yeah, dude, I, I think I think, I think he's he literally doing did what a, Don a good amount of does like, now. Coming behind Jordan and or yeah. like you know this the stuff he saw it said where he like he you yeah. know called him into the office and was you know the, the the business about trying to balance it and like put a little like let cop. him do the coaching and then like have a session with him afterwards of like hey this is you know my my feedback on it yes I would I would also say though by even by like ninety two Phil was a very rare NBA coach in that. I guess Pat Riley was there and maybe a couple others I'm not thinking of, but he was his own brand. And yeah. and uh, so there was a little English Premier League manager in Phil Jackson at a oh, very yeah. early a age. And, uh, you know, he's he's definitely enjoys uh, his uh, group interviews and his uh, being able to, you know, get in a nice fiery dart at his adversaries. So... So I, I'm a huge Phil guy, and there's no question there's a lot of value in making ever, all these absurd idiots play nice with, together. But um, he seems like a bit of a passenger uh, at certain points here. There's less of this in the uh, the second three-peat, but one thing uh, that I, I have to give uh, credit to Simmons again for this point uh, on his podcast, he's going back and watching like a you know the full game of a ton of Bulls games, mm-hmm. and um, remarks over and over that uh, there's long stretches where they play like full court press defense, and getting Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen like imagine a world in which LeBron's coach at any point told him, "Hey, we're going to do a full court press," and yeah. he'd be like, "Yeah, okay," and that that's that's what Phil does, you know, like right. like he he is laying back but also whenever he needs them to do something even something crazy like that like he's he's built that trust like it's clear how much jordan loves him cares about him right yes yeah well and and more importantly doesn't undercut him and 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 again you know to to discuss our uh, off-brand jordans of of this current era especially those who have never not undercut a coach that they play for um, to see Michael basically build the credibility of Phil Jackson to a point where, and you know, I never really saw him undercut Doug Collins either, but Doug Collins was absolutely catering to everything Michael wanted. And we're going to get you 40 a game yeah. where Phil's like, yeah, I don't think that's the best way to go about this. And, and, uh, and, and just Michael again, I think Dean Smith put him on this path that, dude, your coach is your coach, and I don't care how many titles you win, and I don't care how many MVPs you win. We put value in a coach being a coach, and 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 I I think you see that with him, and I wonder if if uh, you know LeBron went through a similar schooling with a similar you know college basketball ideology, maybe Coach K for three years. Um, you know, maybe maybe several of those coaches wouldn't have got undercut, but but uh, who knows? Yeah, so I I, I would just say, and I I, I doubt I'm going to get a whole bunch of uh, uh, <clears throat> quibbles from uh, from you guys. 
that this is the the 90s bulls are the defining sports story of my life so far that you know i mean as far as athletes it's tiger and jordan in my lifetime and golf's less popular and he's an individual Mm -hmm. so you know this is the thing and the thing about it is jordan's competitiveness and i thought that episode seven is I, i think i'm going to die with that being the defining document of chronicling what exactly was going on and who he was and how it was like to be around him and uh so you know i'm i'm fucking thrilled i got to watch it this week amazing television i would just enter the 2011 mavericks uh as the greatest sports story no uh, the the, uh, (laughs) now you're just trying to sell books although let's see here look see see dirk back (laughs) there Dirk. uh, let's see dirk right there there's there's the end of game four Mm -hmm. over here (laughs) is the oh man he can't even do the the camera thing here but there he is at the end of game two Man, what am I doing? How come I can't figure out the camera here? There, get out of the way. There he is. It's an audio podcast anyways, Bob. (laughs) Oh, it is? Nobody can see that? I thought thought they could see this. No? Oh, I just wasted time. All right, well, I did that out there. We're just just yelling at each other. (laughs) Man, I tried to look Uh, nice, too. No, I'm just kidding. I, I clearly did. Yeah. yeah, no, I thought the last last five to ten minutes of episode seven was like, I don't know, that was the goods. I could yeah. tell, I, I mean, I'm watching this and selfishly like stealing notes for whenever I'm going to make Luca's documentary in, <laughs> oh. you know, 20, 20 years from now. So I'm just kind of like writing down things and I, I, the production on that, like just the shots that they saved for that exact moment of just like the best Jordan shots yeah. and they had introduced that score earlier and just kind of snuck it in a couple times and like right. retracted him, pulled it back out and they let the whole thing play out and they let, they just let Michael talk until yeah. he made them break. And I was yeah. like, that's genius. That was really good. I almost, I really wanted him to end like episode one with it just cause that's the thing. If you're super into sports, which this documentary, it's already asking a lot of people right. to jump to 1984 and then jump back to 1996 and you kind of have to know some Jordan stuff yeah, to keep it yeah. all in line. Otherwise, your head's going to get in a pretzel. Um, but if you're already into Jordan and you know some of his story and you know you know the highlights, his dad died, he retired, Space Jam, uh, three in a row and then three in a row and How again, great is the Space Jam stuff? The Space, Space Jam, Jam stuff was, was awesome. Sweet. I love that. I love that pop-up tent court that they had. Right, I don't right. think they get 72 wins without Space Jam. That's what I love thinking. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Probably not. Yeah, yeah. Probably. Probably playing against Reggie and Patrick Ewing at Space Jam camp. <laughs> um, but if you know a little bit about him, like the most fascinating thing about him is his drive in that it's either at some point he crosses into psychotic or you're this person that like, that's the most interesting thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's how you, um, Critique him. Just perceive and translate what Michael Jordan is. Right. And how he became that. Yeah. Whether it's all talent, whether it's drive. And I wish I just would have introduced that a touch earlier, like just like a smack earlier in this documentary, Um, because that's what we want to see. That's what us three like are obsessed with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I feel like they're making this for us. Right. To begin with. But I love the end of episode seven. I love what they've done so far. It's. It's an incredible piece of work, like, honestly. Like, it's so freaking impressive. If they made a Dirk one of just, like, the Dirk ups and downs of, you know, here's 2006, here's getting his teeth kicked in, here's him shredding his knee against San Antonio. Right. You know, here's Golden State um, knocking them out. And just, like, the ups and downs. And Jordan kind of had his own internal ups and downs. One of the things that really I'm obsessed with now is him going – I had nothing left to prove. No more challenges. 
And then I'm like, you say that like every other year. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Then well, why'd you come the, back? Yeah, I, I think I think the the imagined enemies and I, I yeah. somehow we've gone this far. I without, think he's making stuff up. At oh this yeah. Point. Well, I, I was at the Le Bradford Smith game. Do you know that, TC? No, I do not. I read that I, earlier. I read that I was earlier. At, in your, I, I, was at, I was at the Chicago Le Bradford Smith game, and uh, and I must tell you, as my one and only Bulls game at the stadium, which is the one true Chicago sports arena. <laughs> um, to me, that that whole night was just surreal in a bad way. Like this, this, you know, I got to see him score 50 at the Mecca. That's awesome. But I, I also saw the Bradford Smith score 37 on him at the stadium in a game, the bulls won, but there was really nothing memorable about the bulls performance, including Michael just wasn't good. He just, you know, a very rare time where you were like, man, I feel like Michael did not exceed expectation in this game. And uh, then, of course, the next night he takes it out of the Bradford Smith. But but there you have the, the slights, and some of them might be made a little bit more dramatic. But I think for the most part, that's what fuels a guy who feels like he's better than everybody in the league and has proved it so many times that it almost doesn't matter anymore, except I do think – six and oh and that's been twisted oh six and oh so you're saying if you went uh uh you know five and three and you get to the finals eight times that's not better than six and honestly no it's really not and and you know let me say this again not as cool the ceilings of a lot of these guys are similar the ceiling of lebron james and michael jordan are probably in some ways very very close uh kobe bryant may have a similar ceiling nobody has a higher floor than Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Nobody, and I and I, I can I can demonstrate that to you uh, quantifiably in the number of games uh, in the playoffs where he scored less than twenty. And I'm sure you guys have seen that tweet I put out periodically, uh, but uh, it's not even close. This dude never failed his team. Um, so so the idea that he went six and zero in the finals should not be argued away by someone who actually made it to that level and failed more often. I'm sorry, that does not hold water. The mere premise that he could be compared to somebody who would score eight points in an NBA finals game Dude, is some of those box scores so for the insulting. So bad. And so, hey, listen, I'm, I, you may play longer. You may do a lot of really great things. And you may be the NBA's all-time leading scorer. But we're not going to forget a number of times where you flat out failed when we're comparing you with a guy who did not fail and was obsessed to never fail. And so, you know, to me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to be generation guy. I really think if this was flipped, I would argue it the other way because, um, these are things I really believe in. And this is part of the ethos of Michael Jordan is that uh, he was not going to let you beat him. And once he figured out that formula, it didn't happen. And, and you know, the, the I'm not trying to take anything away from the 95 Orlando Magic because that one does need to be seen head on. And I'm also no longer going to argue that they would have won eight straight because I think that's just me kidding myself. But uh, but the six and zero, oh, and the fact that he was the leading scorer in the NBA, I believe all six of those times, and I think the entire rest of the NBA has only done that five times as an entire 
basketball humanity. Um, I'm sorry. There's only one true goat, and uh, he wears 23, except when he wore 45 a few times. Yeah, just legacies (laughs) are written in the finals. And, like, the number of times, like, you know, Charles Barkley's career is defined by the fact that Michael Jordan beat him. Clyde Drexler is defined by that final. You know, I mean, not obviously not entirely. Carl Malone. But yeah, Patrick Ewing, Carl Malone, John Stockton. Whereas you look at LeBron, like, you know, uh, uh, the Mavericks are the beneficiaries of the fact that he was not ending anyone. Tim Duncan was able to continue to extend his legacy despite the fact of LeBron playing in the league. Like, that's the difference between those things. How about six finals and never pushing him to a game seven once? Amazing. Yeah, that's crazy. Come on. Not only, did he not, sense, not only did he not lose, he played zero elimination games in an NBA Finals. Zero. Think about that. Nobody he had the even game's got the hardest tasks down to a science. Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry, man. It's over. Yeah. Drop. That's that's one thing. Middle of middle of episode eight, I think I just sat there and I just go, you know, I haven't even considered LeBron on his level since I started watching this. And since I mean, a lot of it is having to do a lot of work for these 2011 replays that we're showing on these finals and having to look at every box score and like I find our best guy and then I just happen to peek up there and see what LeBron did and you know those six games and I'm like oh my god like he was awful dude fourth quarter points look at he was like Mario Chalmers those 2011 finals yeah I think Mario Chalmers probably did outscore him in the fourth quarter of those games I've watched the last five minutes of game two about five times in the last month and uh, his shots are so bad. And it's like Dude. clock running down. But whatever. You're fucking LeBron. I don't want to hear the clocks running down. He's just taking right. threes with his feet not set. And then like, you, what is and this? And then if you, you combine that to 2010 with the, the Cavs-Celtics series. Mm-hmm. and I mean, come on. The, these... No. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't expect Nick Wright to understand these things because they might be too complicated. But I, I, I just, I, I just, I don't have time for the argument anymore. And, and thankfully, I think these ten hours probably took most of the arguments back off the table. I, th- I think it did. For people that are around my age, yeah. it reminded me. Like I always knew, and I would right. always say, MJ is better than LeBron. But I couldn't quote you the. I couldn't give you the, the reference page after right. a last couple of years, right? Just because right. MJ's been so out of focus and LeBron's been, yeah. oh my God, he's dragging the Lakers back to sure. prominence. And I'm like, son of a bitch again. <laughs> um, so, you know, LeBron's right in our crosshairs all the time now. But yeah. one one other thing that super fascinated me, and uh, I'll let y'all wrap up after this, I promise. <laughs> but uh, um, the George Carl story. Yeah. Of they go to a bar and George Carl's across from the bar and George Carl doesn't stop by to say hi and just walks out. And I'm sitting there going, I've heard this guy over the last seven hours tell stories about someone came up to him and said one thing right. that he misconstrued and it turned into this freaking like barn fire that happened. And then he's going to kick your ass until you can't breathe anymore. Right. I'm like, what is George Carl supposed to do? <laughs> is he supposed to walk up to you and just be like, hey, hope you have a great game right. tomorrow. Like, yeah. love you, bud. You're Can't the coolest. Can't wait till you whoop us. And then he would have twisted that. And you hear enough of like, these, it's clear there is no path to winning for George Carl. No, 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 no. no. He just he just needed a, a reason to get out of bed and pulverize you every single He's time. He's a maniac. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a freaking maniac. He's making half these up. I guarantee you, half the motivation stories he has are absolutely made up. Yep. Which is crazy that they still work on him. Yes, he knows they're making true. up. True. He's still getting fired up. He's still like grinding his teeth and like but palms are getting sweaty. But but again, juxtaposed against that is a guy 
who I don't believe ever got a coach fired and I don't believe ever really considered playing anywhere but Chicago or forcing his way out because this is stupid and you guys can't put a team around me and I am really interested to see how that would play out modern times. Obviously, I love Chicago, so uh, it would fucking break my heart if uh, if he had not played his entire career there. But I, I think that the guy who like like he viewed the only option for beating the Pistons as dragging those uh, all of his teammates up around him. And whenever if he if he were in a situation where the last five people in his situation defined doing anything to win as going to find the best situation. Like I, I, I would love to think that he would have skewed that and said like, nah, I'm me, fuck that. But I'm, I can't be positive of that. You know, machine. Do you, uh, are you thinking what I'm thinking? <laughs> well, we've seen a guy that didn't I, jump. I, this is clearly going to come out poorly from me. <laughs> I, I kind of think Giannis thinks like that. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that he doesn't want to work out with anybody in the summer, mm-hmm. the fact that I'm almost I'm like ninety eight percent sure, and obviously Corona could change this, but I think he wants to figure it out in Milwaukee. And I think, how about this? I love that the Last Dance came out this spring because I know he's drinking <laughs> it in, and I think yeah. I think he Same believes. Same for Luca, man. <laughs> right. Dude, and, and I think about that all the time. Like, yeah. who's who's in Luca's head? Who's in his ears? What's in his heart? Just you know, now you got this genius, and 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 you know, obviously, I think about Giannis uh, probably more so because of the stress of his contract expiring soon. But but just the idea that uh, you don't have to follow all these clowns down this exact same road just because it looks a little easier. Take pride in the fact that. If you make it on your own, like Dirk, or obviously to a much abs- more absurd extent, uh, Jordan, and it's not about there's something illegal about changing teams, but I, I'm sorry if you switch teams four times. I, I don't know if you have a relationship with a fan base that's anywhere close to Dirk and the Dallas Mavericks fan base. I mean, I think no. yeah, I, no, and, I would hate it if he did it. Yeah, I would too. And so no, I want Giannis I, to stay there forever. I, I want Zion to stay in New Orleans forever. I want Luca to like. I want these dudes to be ten years in, or Luca and Zion, for example. Giannis would be you know whatever twelve, thirteen years in, and have beat the piss out of each other for like five years yeah. over yeah. five titles. Yeah, I, and I and maybe it's part of being from Greece. Maybe it's part of. I don't. I don't know. Just but I have the role of the personality com- dice, you know. Yeah, and and I I really feel like I've seen enough signs from Giannis that now I will actually be shocked if he tries to go somewhere. But, mm-hmm. but like I said, I I don't have any idea what the economy is doing to to. Uh, I <laughs> you'd like to think there's nothing that could happen to the economy that would make a market say we're not offering that guy the supermax, but. But I uh, don't want to fall asleep during this podcast, so I should probably <laughs> stop bringing up new topics. <laughs> well, this has been great. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah man. man. Thanks, Thanks for having me, guys. All right, we will uh, we'll wrap it up uh, next week with uh, Jake, and until then, we'll see you.